Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? Hello and welcome to the Sinful Celluloid Podcast. My name is Jeff Frummis. This is Christopher M. Jimenez. And we are here today to talk about one of our absolute favorite films, The Return of the Living Dead. Chris, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing there? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I had a fantastic Tom Hanks giving. And... <laughs> I did something really crazy. I shot a feature-length film in 72 hours. That's right. That's it right. was really... Well, we changed... It wasn't that thing. We ended up doing something different. That situation did not work out. We ended up doing... I ended up doing something different. I did, I did what I said... I set out... I did what I set out to do, and that felt really good. Um, so it was a really fun, busy weekend. And now we're, we're back in the swing of things. Good deal. And... We're here to talk to you today, guys, about Return of the Living Dead. I, I'm going to just sort of launch us off here. I've got a lot to say about this. So in order to really, really, really understand what Return of the Living Dead is, we have to go back a, a step or two and look at what Image 10 was. For those of you who are unaware, Image 10 was George Romero's production company. The 10 people in Image 10 invested money, $600 a piece, to jumpstart what would become Night of the Living Dead. One of those, or I should say three of those investors were John Russo, the co-writer of Night of the Living Dead, Russ Striner, the producer slash star, he plays Johnny in the film, Barbara's, Barbara's brother, and Rudy Ricci, who played a zombie as well as did some producing stuff and just various different roles. Um, they were a part of Image 10. Uh, after Night of Living Dead, they made another film called There. There's Always Vanilla, and a, a, a split happens, a fracturing happens. George Romero goes off in one direction and goes off to make Season of the Witch and The Crazies and eventually Dawn of the Dead when he partners up with R Richard Rubenstein as well as Martin. And then John Russo, Russ Striner, Bill Heinzman, who plays the cemetery zombie, uh, the, the 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 famous one in the in the opening bit, and uh, Rudy Ricci and uh, Russ Striner, they all go off and do their own thing. They do a bunch of different um, projects along the way in 1978. See, John Russo and George Romero, they kind of get into a legal tiff over the Living Dead franchise rights. Kind of, they they sort of they reach an agreement. I don't know if it was in court or out of court. This is this is something that's beyond me. I really should have Googled it before we came on here. Um, they settle the the matter where Romero is going to retain the name Dead of the Dead films. He does Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, Survival of the Dead, um, of the Dead of the Dead. Just goes on and on and on. And Russo would get to use the living dead of the living dead. So Russo retained the word living. And he wrote, while I, you know, I don't know which came first. They both came out in 78. Well, George, no, actually, I would say Dawn of the Dead was being shot because it was being shot in the winter of 77 into January of 78. 
And then Russo, seeing that George Romero was making a sequel to Dawn of the Dead, decided to write his own sequel to Night of the Living Dead called Return of the Living Dead. Now, this story takes place 10 years after what happened in 1968 in, you know, uh, in, in in Evansville, Pennsylvania. What's going on, Robbie Bloodshed? How you doing? Um, takes place in Evansville, Pennsylvania. Um, it's 10 years later. The, in order, the, it's this whole thing. There's a bus full of football kids who, who die in a, in, a, in a car accident. And then they get, basically, the dead start coming back to life again. And it's really sort of bland and pedestrian. It's not a good novel. There, there's this whole thing with like spikes. You'd bury the spike bat into someone's brain during the funeral. It's like, you know, what, what this is what we have to do now in, in light of this 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 living dead pandemic sort of sort of trip. In any case, a guy, a businessman named Tom Fox, he decides he wants to get into the film business. He buys the rights of Return of Living Dead from Russo, Striner, and Rucci, Ricci, Rucci, whatever his name is, um, in order to option for a film, he gets hooked up with Tony. Toby Hooper is go, is set to direct, and this is obviously after um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Salem's Lot and and things. You know, so Toby Hooper is Toby Hooper at this point. Um, he's going to direct the film, and what happens is somewhere along the way. Uh, Toby Hooper washes out and Dan O'Bannon of Alien fame comes aboard. Dan O'Bannon wrote the script for Alien. So he comes aboard, but what he does is he takes the script that Russo has and just rightfully, with, with, with Dan O'Bannon's brilliant sensibilities being a brilliant screenwriter, he basically rewrites the script from scratch and he takes a look at everything in the George Romero mythology and he basically decides I'm going to try and do something different from George Romero. I have a lot of respect for George. I'm going to do something completely different. My zombies, they're going to be fast. My zombies, they're going to eat brains. My zombies, they're going to they're going to talk. They're going to be intelligent. You know what I'm saying? And he crafts this masterpiece story. And now here's where things get really complicated. If they weren't complicated enough, so Dan O'Bannon is going to direct is is the writer and director of this project. John Russo, the guy who wrote the original novel and also the original writer screenwriter of Night of the Living Dead, he friggin' rewrites or he adapts Dan O'Bannon's screenplay as a novelization of Return of the Living Dead, further fleshing out Dan O'Bannon's story. So, and and the thing too, the last thing I'll say about it is Return of the Living Dead ends up being a absolute follow-up legitimate sequel to night of the living dead in and of itself down a separate branch you know in in this in this version of the movie as we'll talk about night of the living dead is a an adaptation of a, a, a movie um about real events that happened which allows the story to continue in a completely different way with completely different rules and that brings us to return to living dead i want to ask chris chris what are your memories experiences like when did you first hear about return of living dead what was it like for you first seeing this film in the theater i don't know i thought it was amazing it's kind of when i was discovering punk rock at that same time so 
I mean, it all came together for me. It was, um, I don't know. It was just, it was one of those movies that, I mean, the effects were, again, this was like the early days of like actual real effects. So all that was awesome. The half, the half corpse zombie was amazing. I just sat there with my mouth open. I could relate <laughs> to the characters. They were, you know, they weren't my age, but they're, you know, you would have hung out with them or you wanted to hang out with them. Um, so all that came together. This, you know, the soundtrack was amazing. There were all the bands, a lot of the bands I was listening to at the time. Um, and it was, I know it just, this is what got me into horror films. Oh, so that's your gateway that's actually, film. That's actually, I mean, I mean, of course I grew up on the universal and all that stuff, but that's right. the film that made me hardcore. I actually write about it in this book. My favorite horror movie. Wow. Which you can pick up on Amazon. It's not just me. It's a bunch of different writers, producers, a bunch of people who you know their work talking about their gateway horror film. There's actually another, um, there's another chapter on Return of the Living Dead besides mine by Jack Bennett, who's a producer for Scott Ian's um, effects show. And he also did the Anthrax um, Blood Eagle Wings music video. Nice. And um, a bunch of other stuff. But we, uh, during the signings, we would go back and forth. You know, we turn it on each other's page, on the front page. Yeah. If you really want to read a really good one, turn to page 156. <laughs> Fuck this guy. <laughs> stuff like that. We had like a whole thing where it was pretty good for the whole tour. <laughs> but um, yeah, just, I love that film. And I got so much memorabilia. I've got, like, I got my puzzle cam from HBO Thor and Emmy. Oh my god, I'm really so, jealous. It's um, this Damn is you. you know, if you ordered so many copies for your store, then you got this oh. nice little puzzle that's of the poster. Oh. Um, I have three of the original T-shirts. Oh. And then the one that Tom Matthews pressed up. I didn't have time to dig all this out because you just told me. But um, wait, 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 wait. Tom Matthews oh. pressed up a T-shirt. It was his T-shirt company. Oh wow! They made those shirts that are in, and I will give me one second here. Um, this is the one I have several copies of the final soundtrack. This is the one signed by Dinah Cancer. Oh wow! Where if you can see, yeah, you can see it. So, but within this is the um, T-shirt order form. Is it in this one? Maybe Holy it's in crap. No, it is in this one. Holy crap. Holy crap. Send more cops. Look at the fonts. Those are all the yes. William. Those are William Stout fonts. William Stout was the production designer. And that was his ode to Ralph, Ralph Stedman of uh, Hunter S. Thompson uh, Association. So these were the shirts that they had. I've yeah. got the more brains. I've got the you need a medical supply. And I have, um, is it it's the return to living dead? Those are originals. And then I have the um, ones that somebody made like 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I have those uh, knockoffs of the whole set. So nice, nice. And something you didn't, you didn't um, bring up. Yeah, that when Toby Hooper was on board, the film was supposed to be shot in 3D. Right, right. And also, 
for those of you who are not aware, some Toby Hooper elements did eventually still make it into the film. The whole bit about perfect teeth coming from skeleton farms in India, that was India. Toby Hooper. Yeah, that was Toby <laughs> Hooper's contribution. And Dan O'Bannon, who was like this weird, he was like this weird sort of conflicting individual. He was a contradicting individual where he was very controlling and could be overbearing and rude and all these things, but he was also incredibly collaborative as a first time uh, aspiring a tour. Yeah, like he want he thought that the it was all about being in a tour, which means he had to be immersed in every single part of the process and maybe even, you know, line reading to actors, whatever it may be. But he was also open to like when 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 Dan O'Bannon heard a good idea, even if it was not his own, he was always in service to what was best for the story. And you can see that difference between the novel from his original script, the novelization, and what ends up in the film. You know what I'm referring to, of course, Chris. The um the Frank's Frank's end. Oh, okay. Yeah. Frank Frank in the novel, in the novelization, he called his his arc ends with him calling a, a a a cab from a payphone and jumping in a cab it's so weird and just seemed like it almost seemed like dan o'bannon was like i don't know what to do with this character it was james Caron, the brilliant actor who plays frank who suggested on set to dan o'bannon hey what if my character um puts himself in the uh crematorium oven and just burns himself alive and ended up creating one of the saddest like darkest, craziest parts of this movie, which tone, we've talked about the tone of Return of the Living Dead before. It's this very interesting tone where the comedy comes from the dryness. Everybody's taking everything super seriously. You know, everybody is, and that's the key to having really good horror comedy in a way, you know, depending on what you're doing. Like, the, you have, your your actors believing believing so thoroughly in what's happening and selling it so well that it almost ends up being comedically funny as a result. You know. See, the interesting thing is about this Evil Dead Two um, Reanimator. I don't find them funny. I don't oh. laugh. I, I I know everyone else in the fucking world does. Hey Amy. Yeah. Hey, and hey Amy. Robbie. And hey you, check your phone. Check your phone. Okay, I'm checking um, my phone. But I I just didn't find them funny. To me, like Return of the Living Dead was just as serious as can be. Um Evil Dead 2 was like one guy alone in a cabin losing his freaking mind. You know, that's just how I saw him. So um yeah, I did so I guess they they affected me more because to me they were serious. Right. I did bring out the the picture disc because you know the picture disc. Oh my goodness! What is the other side? I don't remember. Yes, I do. And this one also has the insert, by the way. Wow! I've got the poster signed by everybody except for Miguel Nunez, who I I had him on the show, which is still not premiered that dude is fascinating a fascinating dude his story of how he just sort of grinded his way into you know being a working actor is really impressive 
I was very blown away by did he go over when he was a pimp um no he did not mention that part but he did mention how he like you know just sort of uh you know i I, that i guess i could kind of see that like you know having to find uh find a way to survive on the on the on the harsh you need to talk to joel shepherd oh boy (laughs) oh boy amy to uh to 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 compound on what you're saying evil dead 2 is a partial remake of evil dead the first 15 minutes are a remake and then the rest of it is a sequel so it's like a a a requel sort of 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 situation um so yeah but let's should we launch into what the movie is about yeah so let's Let's do it. How does it start? Oh my god, how does it start? I watched it in a while. Basically, basically you have it starts off with a, a, a credit sequence where you That's have right. That's right. saying that it's well, a true, this is all based on true events, which is awesome. These to are real me, names of real people. Yeah. Which just sets the, the, the tone. It sets the tone for, for everything. You know what I mean? Like it just sort of like it, it almost like it's almost like trying to really push you to like think that the dead really could come back to life by if you're watching this as like a kid. You know what I mean? Like it's really trying to capture your imagination in that way. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, and then we sort of go in, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this. This kind of blew my mind. There is a oneer at the beginning of Return of the Living Dead that is just so stellar, and it's when Frank is showing Freddy how to like work. You know, he's showing him the ropes. He's showing him around, and the camera never cuts once. And this was the brilliance of Dan O'Bannon. You know what I mean? Like he's just sort of getting everything in these in these crazy master shots. And, you know, I spoke to John Penny, who was the assistant editor on this film. He was also the writer of Return of Living Dead 3. And when they were cutting this film together, they had no idea if it was going to cut together because he was just so economical with his shots. He really believed in the actors and the ensemble chemistry that he had sort of um, set up by allowing them to rehearse, you know, uh, I think they rehearsed for like uh, a bunch of weeks, like two weeks before. Two yeah, weeks. two weeks. That's crazy. It's unheard of for any kind of film. You know what I'm saying? No, it's it's not unheard of. It's unheard of for a film at that budget level. And that was the difference is they fought for that and made it happen. And because it did, that dialogue works. All the buttons work. Whereas if they didn't have of that time we don't know how it would have turned out um yeah it's it's kind of crazy before we before we launch any further let's discuss this this is the big question whose fault is it who's actual in 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 order like who's most at fault and who's least at fault who is liable for this great disaster frank okay frank is your number one frank is it frank was told it doesn't matter no. what Bert did or what Bert didn't do. Totally Bert disagree. Told him never go near the tanks. Right. But there goes fucking Frank. Let me be Freddy's buddy. Let me show him that. No. 
I fuck Freddy. No, don't go fuck around and doing shit you've been told not to do. He Bert should have the moment that those tanks came into his possession, no matter how scared he was about losing that's his an, business. That's an unknown. That's an unknown. We do not know. He All was, we know, he for was scared. Sure, yeah, you don't know that. That's a guess. What we do know for sure is Bert told Frank stay the fuck away from him. And Frank didn't do it. That is the only facts we have to go no, on. No, we have one other fact. We have one other fact because when they what? go to the crematorium, and he's t and Ernie's talking to him, and Ernie's like trying to reason with him, and Bert says to him, "You don't understand. I could lose my business. I could get sued. Blah 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 blah." He's talking about all of these things, and these are probably fears that he had all the way from the beginning, fourteen years ago. Okay, possible. Still, he told him never go near. They would still be sitting there. If Frank would have done what he was fucking told, he's an employee. Do what the fuck you're told. That's your job is to do what you're told for eight hours a day. True. But that's it. That's, I there's think... no argument. No, there is he's argument. He's a fuck up. I, he's he, a wonderful he a person. You love Frank. Love Frank. You cry when he dies because it's fucking sad. Oh, it's so sad. But it's his fucking fault. He, no, that's he's partially, there, there, dead. there are multiple people that are to blame here there's multiple people oh. the first person to blame is the army army is number one because they're the ones that sent out and messed everything army fucked it up they got the orders crossed that's number one number two is bert bert is super what is going on behind me it's freaking me the fuck out dark basement alone talk about return of living dead with the tar man behind me um the the bert is number two because it's bert's place of employment you know he is absolutely responsible for anything that happens in his facility. He's responsible and liable for having those tanks in the basement, having the drums in the basement. Three, Frank is 100% liable. He's the third on the, on the list, if you ask me, third on the totem pole, because he's the one that sets all of these events into motion. But the army and Bert made it possible for Frank to do what he does. Frank never could have done what he did if it wasn't for the army and if it wasn't for Bert. Number four, um, you have Ernie. I think Ernie is very liable. And here's why Ernie is liable. Because Ernie, knowing the truth, knowing that a chemical spilled all over this corpse and reanimated it, still chose to burn it and possibly spread whatever it was into the atmosphere, unbeknownst to them and in in uh uh and created a situate a situation where you have this acid rain coming down so he's also liable but not that as much the as frank dumbest thing ever no 100 true 100 fact here do you think he is thinking about the possible fumes from a dead body no he's not do i'll you tell you why, why he would be yes he would why? be he would be why? because he's a mortician and morticians have to be aware of all sorts of chemical things and that, you know, all sorts of compliance under normal stuff under normal circumstances. You have to throw that out the window. That's like assuming that they're going to keep coming after you shoot them, after you burn them, after you cut them into little pieces, it's an unknown factor. You don't know. All you're thinking is we need to get rid of this. There's no way to know that those fumes are going to go ahead, go up there because the fumes are not pure anymore. Right. It's mixed well, with body. It's mixed with flesh. You wouldn't know. Well, here's the thing. You're looking. The only person to blame is Frank because Frank fucked up. Frank no, did but shit Bert knew that he shouldn't have done because he knew. wanted to be friends with Freddie. 
They both friggin' they they both knew. And okay, fair. I'll they even both knew. I won't give it to you, but I'll secede on that. Okay, but again, wait, wait. Yeah, Ernie yeah, yeah. is not responsible. Not his problem. He well, works here's next why. Door so i'm imagining the conversation playing out again and it's like they're going back and forth he's like we're gonna owe me a big favor blah 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 and he's like he's like oh the rabid weasels let me just shoot them with my luger which is like something that a former nazi would totally say because he's got (laughs) he wants to you know take him out back and pop him in the head like a a monster that he is uh even though he's the most lovable probably the most lovable nazi that ever existed because i just love ernie and he, he's just the best character ever. I just love Ernie. Um, he, he is, he's told this is like, this is from a weird chemical spill. And he can go, whoa, you want me to burn? You want to use my crematorium, Bert? That's crazy. That could lead to an ecological disaster. I'm not going to allow that. I don't want, I could possibly lose my business. I could get shut down in the same way that you could get shut down. We got to bury these things or we got to, you know, lock them in a trunk and throw them at the bottom of the ocean or something, but you're not going to burn them in this crematorium. So I say that Ernie doesn't have as much liability as Frank, doesn't have as much liability as Bert, but absolutely has a, in the succession, success, can you say the word for me? Succession, 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 succession of events. Yeah, succession of events. He absolutely um, assumes uh, a semblance of responsibility in order in in order for these things to happen. In order for the dead to come back to life, Ernie needs to do what he does. You know who's innocent in all of this? Who? Fucking Freddy. The whole way through. Freddie is an innocent bystander. Way well, here, well, well, up to this point, because there's nothing that Freddie does. The only thing that Freddie does is he says, "Yeah, let's go check it out," you know. But why wouldn't he? He's he's in a brand new workplace. He's like a this weird punk dude, you know. He he just he doesn't know what he's in for. He doesn't know what what they're what he's going to really see. Maybe Frank is making it all up just to freak him out. You know, and then they go down there and it's actually real. And then out of concern, he says, hey, Frank, do these things don't leak, do they? And he goes, what are you kidding, kid? This is made by the Army Corps of Engineers. And then, of course, obviously it does leak and Return of the Living Dead happens. And then and then that brings us right into the narrative of the film. We hear, in my opinion, I don't know if you'll agree with this. I think the Return of the Living Dead theme is is absolutely one of the most terrifying pieces of score music ever created. It is terrifying to me. I'm terrified by the score, or at least when I was growing up. I mean, obviously, still have, like, some kinder trauma. Like, when I listen to that, it creeps me the fuck out. How, do, do you agree, or do you disagree with that, that sentiment? I don't get creeped out by music. Okay. Well, if you did get creeped out by music, would you get creeped out by that music? No. Well whatever <laughs> so you asked. the the music the music comes on and then here's what dan o'bannon does that's so brilliant he just he doesn't he doesn't explain anything or he does sort of explain things but he mostly shows us he never has the characters explaining how things are happening he just shows the audience and in fact the characters aren't even aware of like 50 percent of of how things happened like, like Bert and uh, Frank and Freddie 
don't exactly understand how the cadaver how the cadaver was revived, but he's revived, and now it's a problem. So the cadaver that they're holding on to has suddenly reanimated the as they call him the yellow man or the yellow corpse or whatever something like that, and he is um, he's super terrifying too because he's super fresh. You know that's the big kind of problem with 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 these sort of uh these the zombies right like the fresher they are the the more deadly of a threat they can be you know although that's not the case with the tar man um so the yellow man comes back to life the yellow cadaver he right. he comes back to life he starts banging on the door they are freaking out and i gotta tell you i feel such a sense of dread when I see Freddie and Frank wake up because you just know like they're and here's the here's the big question. Are they dead or are they alive when they wake up from that gas? When do they actually die? I well, I don't know. That's kind of hard to say. Because they're dying when they wake up, right? I, I would. I think they. Well, it's actually it's illustrated. I mean, it's illustrated when they actually die because it's when they turn. Well, I was see, well, that's a, sort of. It's loose. no. That's like they're right, they, they, they're brain dead. That's that's the brain death. It's like they've they already have, died. You know, they're still they don't conscious. Have pulses. They don't have heart rates. Right. And nothing's going on. I think they die when the gas hits them and what happens is slowly the body goes through a rigor mortis process and then yes. finally hits the brain and when it hits the brain that's when the hunger for brains comes in. Now, I watched a video on YouTube because, you know, there's so little information about the stuff and any kind of like fan fiction or sort of stuff like that always interests me when it comes to Return of Living Dead. And I watched a video about what happens, wh how trioxin zombies differ from, say, other zombies. I completely made up by some guy. You know, it's not just, you know, just fun sort of trying to scientifically retro engineer how trioxin 245 works. And it basically is something like this. There's 245 trioxin in the stomachs, the rotten stomachs of these zombies. So when they eat brains from their mm -hmm. victims those bits of brain reactivate inside the stomachs of these dead people. And the, basically you have this dead consciousness just rotting inside of a, you know, dige digested stomach sort of situation, which I also found just as terrifying. So the idea that not only are you being eaten, but you're conscious of the notion that you've been eaten and you're just right. sort of existing in the stomach of a rotten sort of zombie. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> kind of crazy. So so what happens Three, four, next? Five, go. That's right. So you what happens Robbie. next? Um. So they're out. We're we're introduced to Freddie's friends, his girlfriend, and right. The rest of the, the crew is they're looking for something to do that night, and that's where we meet Chuck and Tina, right. his girlfriend. Chuck. Um, who else is there? Spider, Scuzz, Scuzz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Trash. stories. 
the story's trash. And Casey. And Casey, yes. Mm-hmm. And they're walking around on the street. And by the way, that's a cameo from William Stout when they're walking down the street. That's the production designer. He's just sitting there against the wall. As like uh, everybody thinks he's the the one that trash attacks at the end, the homeless guy with the cart. That's not William Stout, even though they kind of look similar. And um, they're like, you know, ah, oh, Freddie got a job. What a dick, you know. They're just you know <laughs> walking around the damned. They're playing. Uh, no, not the damned. Nothing for you by TSOL is playing on the soundtrack, and you just yeah get the sense they just want to get their their kicks and they're like let's go wait for him to get off and but they don't have a car so they call up this guy named suicide suicide played by this character actor named mark ventura right is that his last name yeah which is played uh he was in friday the 13th part five at the beginning he's the one who uh basically sets everything in motion and, you know, uh, apparently a real sweetheart of a guy who died way too young and just super-memorable in Return of the Living yes. Dead. He yeah. had, um, he just had a, he, he he has this car, he picks up the guys, Which you know. in the novelization, we're reminded that the car smells like cat piss. I'm sorry, say that again? In the novelization, we're told that his car smells like cat piss. Oh, really? It's Yep, it smells like cat piss, it's filled with makes sense cat shit and everything yeah see those are the wonderful see that those are some of the you know john russo put a lot of really wonderful details into the novelization like for instance why is freddie even at his job in the first place why do you get this job because he had a Friend roommate of his died, you know yeah he did, uh, sunshine he was trying to get shit together yeah. right and so him and Tina, and Tina's like uh, a good Catholic girl, sort of living on the edge, as it's described. And Frank is looks nothing like he does in the thing. And Spider's name is not even Spider. His name is Meat. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. It's in the script, too. Um, right. Yes. Yes. And that got changed at some point that got changed. Uh, During like filming, because I have, I have two copies of the script. I have the first and the second draft. Wait, is which is the second draft from 1983 or 84? I want to say it's from 84. Oh, dude, you have to send that. Do you have the 83 one? Dude, you have to send me that 84. I have the 83 one. I I don't have the 84. You got to dig that shit up, man. I want to see that shit. What is that? I couldn't post this. I don't know if you can see it on here. That's me with the cast of the very first time they got together. This is the very first cast photo that they took. Um, that's after awesome. the old days, you should be able to share. You can still share on your yeah. guest Can't screen. Can't do it. Can't do it on the photo. That's really weird. I'll post it. I'll put. I'll post on the uh, on the podcast. Yeah, do that. Do that. Um, right now. So they're they're driving. They're driving uh, to go to Freddie's place. Freddie's place. Go of pick work. him up from work. Right. But they need to kill time. So they go, they need to kill time. They go to the resurrection cemetery, this beautiful set that is designed by William Stout and totally based on like the EC. You know, what people don't realize yeah. is Return of Living Dead is almost a Tales from the Crypt EC comic book movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it has all of those elements, man. Like, it, it re- yeah. literally is. It literally is. It's like an 80s. 
EC horror comic strip. They go to the Resurrection Cemetery. It's a beautiful, you know, you get a lot of, there's a lot of just desserts in in Return of the Living Dead. And that totally lines up with like the Tales from the Crypt sort of persona. And they go, and there's like, you know, there's tons of Spanish moss and these big, beautiful mushrooms uh, and lots of, they, you know, they rented every tombstone they could find and they, they stuck, stuck them in this fake cemetery. And it's supposed to be, the, you know, they're in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's where this whole story takes place. I don't know why. I don't know why it takes place there, but it does. And um, you get the sense that a lot of the zombies are, are are sort of, or some of them you see, that some of them are from like the 1865. Some of them are like uh, Civil War zombies. And so they're hanging around in the cemetery and then we're, we're, we're just cutting back and forth. And again, what makes Return of the Living Dead work so well, what makes it so brilliant, it's not just the effects, it's not just the script, it's also the editing. They do a really great job of just cutting back and forth between what's happening with all the different threads that eventually collide as the dead come back to life. But there's a lot of setup to this film because the dead don't actually come back until an hour and some change into the film. Hard to believe, but it's true. So all that stuff that happens with the dead coming back to life happens like, you know, in the last 35, 40 minutes of the film. It's kind of crazy. It takes its time to set these characters. Yeah, up. and it's wonderful. It's not it's like it so doesn't great. give us stuff in the meantime, though. Oh yeah, you know? plenty, plenty. We got all the Tar Man. I mean, the Tar Man essentially gets the first half of that film. You know, because here's what happens: they're partying. There's a switch that happens. They're partying in the graveyard. Tina goes to see where Freddie is because she sees somebody walking around with something on a stretcher because Bert. Ernie, no, sorry, Bert, Frank, and Freddie have chopped up the yellow cadaver, right? With yep. the um, with the hacksaw because they can't. They're, they're thinking, and that's the brilliance of Dan O'Bannon's script. He's going get the brain, get the ghoul. That's what they're thinking because of the it worked in the movie. Well, why yep. isn't it working now? Um, they put a pickaxe, and I'll tell you when your first time you watch Return of the Living Dead, and if you're familiar with zombie lore, let's say you watch Walking Dead your whole life, and then you watch Return of the Living Dead for the first time, and you think, oh, they found a pickaxe. This will all be solved in two seconds. Salvation right. is here. And then what happens? Uh, Dan O'Bannon subverts every expectation that everybody who ever watched a zombie film from 1968 to 1984 had. The, the body doesn't die. It just screams more. And that's where, like, that's the perfect example of how great the humor is. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like this moment of of such, it's so, it, it, it's so, like, like grisly and hair-raising that it's almost, it's funny. It's like what Mick Garris always says. The humor is so black that it's red, you know? And um, so... They're, they chop up the, the body and they go, oh, Ernie's got a furnace. Now, originally, they were supposed to have a miniature of the cream of the whole thing. And Bert's supposed to look out the window and see this miniature. And they could not, they didn't have the time to build it. And so, again, a, a great example of good, fast, cheap happening on the set. They said, oh, I'll just look out the window and call it out. That's an example of showing the audience by telling the audience instead of showing and not telling. So they right. chop up this thing, they bring it over to the, uh, they, they bring it over to the, whatchamacallit, 
um, to they bring it over to Ernie's place. Now we find out that Ernie, it's never illicitly said. We talked about this earlier. It's never illicitly said, but Ernie is a Nazi in hiding because in the eighties, this was a very sort of popular trope in all sorts of fiction and all sorts of entertainment and movies that you know world war ii was only 40 years earlier right so you had all these guys all these nazis who escaped germany they went down to brazil they went you know they went all over the place and in ernie's case ernie coltenburner as he's called he found his way to louisville kentucky it was Louisville, Kentucky, not not not. What did I say before? I said something in Tennessee. It's Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, Louisville, but, Kentucky. Right. Finds his way to Louisville, and he becomes a more uh, mortician. And we learn we get so much character just from watching him embalm a body. Right. Mm-hmm. We hear the classic music. He's smoking a pipe. You know, he pulls his gun out, and um, yeah. They, they they disturb him, right, Chris? Isn't that what happens? They they scare him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They scare him because he, he's working. He's working late. He's working late. They pull the gun, you know, and they they he they, they're freaked out, right? And that's when we learn the truth. Now, wrapped in those plastic bags in order to make the move are little those little monkeys with the symbols that you wind up and clap they clap their hands that's that's what they used yeah. to make the move inside the the trash bags and i mean it's just again you can't you really can't like like be more you can't you can't honor the acting you can't i can't compliment the performances enough for them to sell an audience with the stuff that they're saying in this thing. Because it's such, these notions are so crazy, so ridiculous, you know. Now in the novelization, it's a little bit different. Ernie is actually working on a couple that died in a car crash and were cut in half and he's sewn them together and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, they're going to come back and and John Russo kind of skirts the rules that Dan O'Bannon sets up because the gas never makes it inside of the mortuary and yet they come back to life too which makes absolutely no sense that's how scuzz bites the big one in the book um so they basically strike a deal they convince ernie to help him out do the crematorium thing and then we cut back over to tina and what's tina doing chilling She's walking she's into Unita Medical Supply Warehouse looking for Freddie. Yeah, she's tired of waiting for him. Right. And, and coincidentally, let, yeah. let me stop you there for a sec about the Ernie thing. Um, yes, he's supposed to be a Nazi because he was named after a Nazi. O'Bannon's right. idea. Right. And he has a picture of Ava Braun behind him on his on his on his little pin board and he's the the thing that he's listening to is like a german piece of orchestra when and, when the panzers go rolling along right and when when they're talking about how hard it's raining outside in the crematorium he says mm-hmm. it's raining cats and dogs in german so yep just these brilliant little nods to the fact without actually saying it without it it's not a plot point it's just for whatever reason he's a nazi in hiding and it's just 
it's just great. I, I love it. I, I love that 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 sort of um, that addition. Uh, they have great chemistry. In any case, Tina walks back over, and I got to tell you, what happens in the novelization I think is way creepier than what happens in the actual movie. Um, in the in the novelization, she goes where the where the cadaver was, the yellow cadaver. Uh-huh. She goes in there and she hears this very faint, whispery, raspy voice, and it's the tar man. And the tar man says, "Help me, help me!" And to me, and it's stuck in the drawer, and she has to like pull open the drawer to get to let the tar man out or something like that. And it's absolutely terrifying to me to like think, what does he want her to help him with? She wants. He wants to eat her brains, man. Uh, in the movie version, though, she goes downstairs. She sees the open tank, and voila, we get Tar Man. Um, what do you like about the Tar Man, Chris, if you like him? What do you think's great about the Tar Man? Just the way he moves. Just the way he moves. And, and again, remember, it's the first time you saw a zombie talk, really. Oh, he yeah. He talks. Oh yeah, that alone was a mind fuck. It's just people the f- take it for yeah. granted now, but that shit was a mind fuck in 1985. Uh, you know the thing that's so like unsettling about the Tar Man is the body horror aspect because he's so monstrous, and the only thing that's and the only thing that he is is he's rotten. That's it. Like it's not like he was transformed per se he just rotted in a tank and turned gooey he's this gooey tar man it could happen to any of us 68 right so it's like something that could happen to any of us and it's like it's like this transformative body horror that applies to any person it's super scary it's super scary super gooey and he's trying to go after tina and then what else is you have the gas burning into the clouds and then the rain comes down and the rain comes down into the cemetery and we get that beautiful, incredible theme, score, whatever. Um, and we see once again, the, the characters, they never find out why the acid rain brings the dead back to life. No one actually knows. We never actually find out. And by the way, it gets worse because then Frank burns his body yep. and adds even more to the air. But we never... That we're it's just the audience. So the audience is kind of gets this Hitchcockian sort of like like sense of reaction to what they're seeing because the characters don't know, but the audience does. And it's just it's just a tragedy of of events that unfold from there. They they get soaked in the rain, right? Mm-hmm. And what happens? What happens after that? They decide to go into. You need a medical supply because they're there in the rain. His uh, suicide's rag top is not worth a shit anyway. Right. And stupid. Who is it? Chuck. Yeah. Like sticks his fingers in like an idiot and rips the rest of it. Yeah. So they all end up going in there. Right. And then what happens? They, you know, they hear Tina. Suicide runs down the stairs. Wait, you're missing one. What the fuck? Dude, you're missing a huge part. Well, then you tell it. You ha- So Trash, who earlier that night is like, uh, 
If she says, um, I my fantasy. Oh God! So you do it. Well, it's just I don't consider that huge. I first of all, the trash character. You know, yeah. I hate that character. I think it's a worthless character. I hate that she's in the movie. Um, Yeah. Well, you and a lot of people who never saw Naked Girl before, but me, yeah, I can do without her. Um. Yeah, they're sitting around the cemetery hanging out because they got nothing better to do. She's seen there with Spider and, you know, what would be a horrible way to die. Yeah, right, right, right. That's what it is. I try not to think about dying too much. Right. I love it, which is such like it's it. All right. What's funny about it? It's funny on a bunch of different levels, but it's just he delivers the line. She fetishizes it. Yeah, she goes, I just sometimes, do you ever fantasize about dying sometimes? You know, violently. <laughs> violently. I just want a bunch of old men to crawl up to me and rip off all my clothes and just start eating me alive. Uh-oh, trash is taking off for clothes again. And then we get SSQ tonight. We'll make love till we die. They're dancing yeah. around naked trash, worshiping her body with road flares and spider does Mike Miguel does the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Such a oh great God. trailer moment. Great trailer moment. No, it um, was, it was. And then, right. Then they all run, right. They all run into, they run into Unita because, because Tina's screaming. She's locked herself in a metal box in a metal closet and the tar man and then further terrifying the tar man not only is he uh sentient not only can he talk he mm-hmm. can use With tools tools he not the first time tools. zombies have used tools though of course we have going back to romero's night of the living dead you see them using tools it's not uh out of the ordinary but we see that the tar man is like hmm my food is in this like shell i need to crack the shell to get to my food you know and like wraps the chain around and he's slowly um pulling it open and o'bannon just creates so much suspense it's it's your first time watching you are terrified for tina the 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 sense of claustrophobic dread as the tar man is ripping this door open and then who saves the day suicide Suicide. (laughs) what the fuck best character He's such a great character, and he says the he has one of the best lines in the whole movie. He says, um, "Fuck you, fuck you, guy." What does he say when they're walking by? Look, it's your best friend. Oh, and mine. oh look, it's your best friend and mine. Or was it? Yeah. Or, hey, yeah, fuck you, ball best, buster. Best fuck you, ball buster. Because she is. Yeah, and then and then he says, it's of course, great. as as Rue said, Rue said up here somewhere. He said. Um, he said, this isn't a costume, this is a way of life, which is just so great. Um, about this, this is a fucking costume, this is a way of a, life. Yeah, which is just like the rally cry of every horror fan in the world, you know, just in terms of, like, loving horror movies. Like, forget about the the notion of, you know, it of talking about punk rock, let alone that. Um, Tar Man took out Freddy so quickly and easily. Suicide died too easy says um rue um true so yeah it's just a quick bite it's just a quick bite and we kind of he hemorrhages from the head is what happens and blood sprays everywhere now if you watch that movie on freeze frame as i have like that scene you will notice various different shots of the tar man drenched in blood and then not drenched in blood 
And it's kind of weird. And I asked John Penny about that because I was trying to figure out. I'm like, did you guys like insert? You guys like inserted these weird shots like after the fa like after the Tarman had been drenched in blood. And he couldn't recall why that was. But it's very interesting. When you go back, you see that they kind of like needed some extra. They needed to insert. They inserted some shots of him post blood in a scene where it should have kind of been more pre-blood or something like that. It was very interesting. Um, he eats, uh, Tina runs up the stairs with the guys. We, oh, we didn't even talk about the fact that when Tina's running away from the tar man, there's this really tense moment, which was really sort of traumatic for, uh, Bev, uh, on, on the actual set where, where she falls through the steps because they, they set it up at the very beginning. Don't touch the third step. It's a bitch. And of course, she steps on the third step, and she goes right through. Right you know? through it. And it's so—I mean, it's—it's so—it it, again talking about creating this intense suspense. You're not sure what is going to happen. It, you know, if it's your first time watching it, like you're—you're you're, you're kind of freaking out there uh, a little bit. And they—they um, they all run up the stairs. Spider throws a, a paint can at the tar man. And that's when Tarman says, "Brains, more brains. more brains." And they run up the stairs. Trash. She loses her sheet that she was used to covering her her naked body. That's right. That's why I was messing that up. Actually, she gets it a little bit later because she's with them a lot when later. suicide dies. Mm. So they run back up the stairs. They board it up. And they run back into the cemetery, and that's when they see all the corpses rising out of the ground. Yep. We kind of screwed that up a little bit. And then, um, of course, we get an incredible song on the soundtrack. Two great songs. Jet Blackberry's Love Under Will, which plays when they're in the, in the cemetery and just has this, like, really sort of, like, I don't know, just like that post-punk death vibe I can't explain it. It's just so gothic and wonderful. And then we get this band called the Tall Boys. They have a song called Take a Walk. And it's just the perfect music to set us up for party time. Come on, baby, let's take a walk. You know, it's just really, really, really great. Um, it's really fun. And it's really sort of light for the very sort of dire situation they're in. And then, of course, it crescendos into the zombie version of Do You Want a Party? Not the original version by 45 Grave, which was a lot sadder. Darker. <laughs> Darker, sadder. I'm glad. I like the zombie version a lot better <laughs> between you and me. Um, and we get the effects from bill munns so there were two people you had kenny myers and bill munns bill munns was the original special effects guy and his effects were terrible yes he was fired just bill munns was just like he he he, he was very incompetent you should have seen what his original yellow cadaver looked like it was just absolutely laughable um you'll see some promotional shots with some of the rubber masks that he was using uh, I always I asked yeah. I asked um, who did I ask I asked John Penny I said I asked John Penny and I asked Miguel Nunez I said I said what what were these from were these from a different scene in the film that never made it and he's like honestly man I don't know I think that was just those are just they were just stills there were a lot of stills were taken um, 
but he rigged up the 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 skeleton for the do you it's a very iconic and very beloved skeleton but it's a terrible looking effect i mean the skeleton is so bad it's just yeah, it's yeah. like it's just like something you'd see in a haunted house and when William Stout still to this day is so like bummed out about that skeleton. I I I understand why because if you look at his original drawings in the complete history of Return of the Living Dead, which is a great book you should all get on amazon.com if it's still available. Um he the 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 his his conceptual art is frightening. Absolutely frightening along with these incredible images of the tar man which is inspired by based on um uh mexican tar mummies from like aztec culture yep right um so they the the skeleton rises up do you want a party right everybody runs away that's when trash gets her just desserts for her for what she was saying earlier she gets consumed um Yes, thank you, Damir. That's right. Yes, Surf and Dead is a great song by the Cramps. Perfect music for that yes, scene, too. The mummies, it's the mummies of Guana, Guanajuato. That's what they are. And they run into the cemetery. It, they get split up. Casey and Chuck go back to Unita and they lock themselves in. And in the novelization, they have sex. He, Casey finally uh, Chuck loses his virginity finally now in the book in the book meat has makes it with trash who is Scuzz's girlfriend or suicide's girlfriend suicide's girlfriend is trash who's who goes by the name legs and yeah has sex with meat right on a tombstone like right in front of her boyfriend um so they make it together though at Unita. And then you have Tina, you have Tina, you have Spider, and you have Scuzz, and they meet up with Freddy, Frank, and Ernie, and Bert. And that forms the core gang. Half punkers and half, you know, I don't know what you would call them. Do waivers. Just like, you know, geezers. No, I'm talking about the... Oh, the... Oh. the the old old people, the Mormons, whatever you would call them, they're just like you know, the Mormons, not Mormons, like you know, just like older sort of, I don't know, whatever, middle aged, old people, <laughs> old people, yeah, they're just old people, and basically, if they're going to survive the night, they have to team up and work together to like kind of make that happen. They find Freddie and Frank, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, Amy, that's right. That's the. That's the EC comic Tales from the Crypt, Crypt of it all. You know, like she describes, she it's it's her just desserts. It's the iron, the the irony of her death. Um, she's gonna end up dying. Right, choke. Uh, Chuck awesome. stops. Chuck stops choking his chicken finally and gets his virginity choked. Um, right, the squares. That's the perfect way to describe it. Thank you, Evan. The squares. Oh my. It's the squares versus the punkers. New new wave punkers. And um, they, that this is when we learn, when the paramedics come, this is when we learn. And they have backstories in the novelization, too. They're Vietnam vets. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, we learn that they're dead. And, again, 
O'Bannon, if if you know, if you ever want to learn how to write a great script, just watch O'Bannon. Watch Alien, watch Return of the Living Dead. He sets things up and pays them off so well. In the very beginning, he has Ernie explain to an audience that may not know what rigor mortis is and explains how it's blood pooling to, you know, gravity pulls blood down and causes it to cool. And then we see it happen to yep. Frank and Freddy while they're still conscious. And it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Um, right. Send more paramedics. The paramedics get eaten. You know, now in the novelization, it is a lot creepier because they use bricks to, to smash open the, the skull and get the brains out. And they're not opposed to gnawing on the meat of the arms and legs looking for brains. I mean, they just kind of eat everything. And they, they just find themselves in this really crazy situation. How are we going to get out of this? All of a sudden, the, the windows break. Everything breaks because the dead are trying to get in. And they're the surfing dead, of course. Right? And then what happens, yep. Chris? Let's see. So they're trying to get in. Well, this yeah. is where they have their dumb idea. What's the dumb idea? Go for the cars. Well, no. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that happens before they go for the cars. They first, they board themselves up in there. They're, they call the police. Um, yeah. Ernie finally that sees. <laughs> that doesn't go. Ernie, now the guy, the fellow that is missing his limbs, that walks around on his stumps and is eating yeah. like brains, which are calf brains, real calf brains. He was a break dancer. He was a break dancer um, somewhere on the Hollywood Strip that was, you know, uh, up in the movie. cast. Yeah, they they put him up in the movie, and. And yeah, it's just it just gets what's up, Jonathan James? How are you doing? Um, we're talking return of living dead here. So friggin, you know, Ernie let, finally gets to squeeze off a couple rounds out of his Luger runs back yeah. inside. He that now now that's when the, 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 the hands start coming out surfing dead they they call up the cops. Everything just keeps escalating. The whole yeah. movie just keeps escalating. Then the police come. The police get eaten. Right? Everybody, Everybody that keeps... comes in gets yeah. eaten. Everybody who comes in gets swallowed up in this place, you know, as as Ernie says. And it it's hopeless looking. Hopeless. That's the you know. And Frank and Freddie are sitting there on the couch. Right, and we do, we don't know what's going on with them, and then eventually Scuzz, he goes, "Hey, they're turning into them," and he pulls up. You're dead. Yeah, you're dead. But it's you could tell that line is so looped; it does not sound like Brian Peck at all. You're dead. He's kind of sounds French, a little bit. Um, and then all of a sudden, we hear that the barricade that they've set up in the mortuarium mortuary is breaking through the funeral home. And that's when we meet the half corpse that eats Scuzz's head. And this half corpse was designed by Tony Gardner, uh, one of his first jobs. Tony Gardner, for those of you who don't know, he did the special effects on the Blob remake. I mean, he's worked on everything. He is. He came in and did a hell of a job with what was left of the budget. Yep. He was a friggin' genius. He was young. He was young. He was like mm -hmm. 17, 18 years old, something like that. Like really, really young. Uh, Graham, what's his name, who was like the, the producer, like the working producer on the film, was like, don't fuck this up. 
And he didn't. He he brings in the half corpse, and she's just, she's gnarly, man. It was everything, yeah. Everything. I mean, just everything that you want to see. And it's a puppet, and it's a brilliant puppet. The way, and they show you under the gurney. They don't want you to think that this is. A, a, they want you. They want to try and trick your brain into thinking this is not a puppet, even though you know it's a puppet. Right. You know? Um, and her voice is really creepy. Originally puppeted by Brian Peck. Uh, and then they dubbed the voiceover. They even had spinal fluid coming out of her spinal remains, yeah. you know. And um, and then what happens? Friggin' Scuzz, Scuzz, uh, Spider starts losing his mind, and Ernie smacks the crap out of him. And uh, yeah. Miguel didn't know that was going to happen. He didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah, you you absolutely have to watch this again, Exhumed Corpse 666. Um, Spinal Fluid is gross. I agree. It's um, a great film. He, yeah, so he gets the crap smacked out of him. That's, and now, oh, and then at the same time, Freddie and Frank are taking a turn for the worse. I mean, they are just getting worse and worse and worse and they make this decision they say we need to we need to lock these guys up in the chapel and so they do so we can figure out how to get out of here right but tina refuses right and tina refuses to leave freddie and just as they're about to barricade the door in what we were talking about earlier, we were talking about like that brain death that kind of happens where like you see it. Fre- Freddie just sort of goes blank for a minute and then yeah. he comes back and he says, finally, Tina, I see what's causing all this suffering in the world. What could relieve this world of suffering? What could relieve this world of suffering? Your brains, and then we get this like slow motion effect, and his back of his jacket says "fuck you," of course. And if you're watching the TV version, it says "TV version." And yeah. um, it's about and, twenty minutes of footage that's different for the TV version, right? They have the the work print version too, which has about there's like twenty three minutes, twenty four minutes. Um, I'm not gonna, Robbie. I don't get pissed when people don't see shit that's like super famous or iconic. You know what I say to them? I say, go check it out, man. Go watch part two and go watch part three, man. Like, there's no. Yeah, that's there's my no... job to go. What the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah, that's something that Chris would say. I, on on the other hand, I'm going to say that's okay, man. Like, you know, we all discover things when we discover them, and that's you know, that's just what that's just the way it is. That's all good. You should definitely check it out. Um, Freddie goes rabid. He just starts foaming from the mouth, Alka-Seltzer in the mouth, and freaking, they, they have a sledgehammer. Spider has his sledgehammer. Um, Bert has a lead pipe. They, they lead pipe him. And then what happens with Frank? He just sort of sl- sneaks out the back. Yep, he slips away. He slips away. He still kind of has his brains about him a little bit. And, and that's, what's, that's what's sad really sad because he knows what's coming he knows he's going to be like freddie you know he's probably thinking about his wife in those final moments he's like i need to sorry go ahead i was just gonna say he we talked about that several times and he would get a little he wouldn't cry or anything but he would you know get emotional james karen would wow Uh and just you know 
this is what I was thinking about. Is this what I would have done? You know, at that time, you know, it kind of worked it in. Wait, question. So, so James Karen said I that when he was thinking for his character was, I need to neutralize myself so I don't eat my wife's brains. No, what he was doing. This is what I would have done at the time. I'm not gonna gotcha. put words into his mouth, but this is what I would have done. Right. You know. Right. Yes, Amy. Yes, Amy, that sledgehammer should have busted his skull up. And yes, you're right, Rue. In the in the novelization, he calls a cab home and he takes a cab home. He still gets destroyed because they, they demolish all those city blocks. I mean, Frank's Frank never made it. Everybody. Home. Everybody got everybody got nobody got. lives in that movie. Nobody lives in that movie. Um but yeah, yeah, he decides to cremate himself and he puts the ring on the switch. It's so That's yeah, that's the <sighs> brilliant just brilliant that's the gut-wrenching moments it's like but you know what's amazing like they don't try to shove like he's very clearly a religious fellow but they don't try and like shove it down our throat they show us because he like he gets down on his knees and prays he says forgive me like you know you know you know that he like believes in his whatever his religious belief system that committing you know suicide is like a sin but he has no choice he's backed into a corner and so he ends See, i never thought i never thought that really do you agree with my theory or you think that it's as possible as anything else but i didn't even think about that i you know what i thought he was asking forgiveness for what from his wife for fucking up in the first place and causing this whole shit. <laughs> I you can't I'm sorry. I can't that's, all right. We're gonna honestly all jokes aside, that's what I thought he was, you know. Let's 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 issue percentage of blame. There's a hundred percent by the way. Hold on, hold on, because we yeah. don't know what religion he is. Well, Suicide is a Catholicism sin. So and in the book, in the novelization, he is Catholic. So I'm gonna assume that he's Catholic. So I say, yeah, Chris, you are lagging. I don't know. Well, I'm going to disappear, Chris, for a second. Let's see if he comes back. Uh oh, he's he's gone. He's gone black. I'm here. Oh, you're here, but your here. your thing, it's weird. It's you. I don't think it's me. Audio is fine. Um. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll you know what we'll we'll issue full percentages. Let's get through the rest of the narrative, and then we'll issue full percentages of of everybody in in return of living dead so frank frank uh frank jumps in the crematorium and we hear his screams and yes we have uh rorky erickson burn the flames plays it's a great song oh there you go now we can see you send more christophers (laughs) put that on a t-shirt put that on a t-shirt that's great it's coming it's coming (laughs) that's great send more christophers um Frank, yes, Frank had a small amount of humanity left to decide to cremate himself. A, a theme that they're going to explore further in Return of Living Dead 3, but that's a story for another day. And um, then we go back, and now the final plan of all the plans that they've tried to do, they have one last plan. They're going to jump in the car, and they're going to head back to Yanita, and they're going to call that number on the tank. Oh, no, they're going to try and make it out of yeah. the the gate. That was what they were going to try yeah. to do, right? Yeah, they're going to take off. But Freddy, who is a fresh corpse, bursts out of the friggin' chapel 
ends up breaking Ernie's foot in the process. So now Ernie and Tina, they end up going up in the attic. No, no. Ernie yeah. drops the um, bench on his foot. Right, but it, because they're dealing with Freddy. So that, that's what I mean. Like he And he breaks his foot in the process. Um, he also splashes. He gets the idea. Hey, let's use this acid. We can maybe burn them. And he's like, there's not enough acid. How are we going to burn them? You know? Um, yeah. Or maybe that was what they said earlier. That was a pretty, that was a pretty sad idea. Yeah, but that was that. That was an idea born of desperation. Yes, great point. It was an idea born of desperation, and eventually it does get used because he does. He throws it in Freddie's face. Freddie can't see anymore, which get, buys them some time. So while they're in the uh, embalming room, uh, Bert and Spider decide to use the cop car to try and get Freddy, uh, sorry, to get Ernie and Tina into the car um, yep. as well. And Ernie says to Bert, he says, hey, hey, Bert, that favor you owe that me? He goes, yeah, me? take care of yourself your out, there. out there. Watch your ass out there. It's great, great dialogue. Um, so they jump out there. They start just piping zombies left and right. They get to the cop car, but too many of them jump on the car and they can't. And Bert, of course, Bert, who's like the boss of everything and always bossing people around, he's like, I have to drive. Um, th there are too many zombies on the car. So they decide they're going to try and make it through the, the make it out of there. And Tina goes, they left us. They left us. They had to. And he shuts the thing. And that's when Freddy starts pounding on the door. He's pounding on the door. And that's when they decide it's time to go up in the attic. It's the only they have to go up in the crawl space. It's the only way to escape Freddy and what will eventually yep. happen with Freddy. Um, so they're now they're playing. It's, it turns into a video game like zombies pop out of nowhere. They're running through zombies. By the way, the whole time that this is happening, the cops have been slowly encroaching on this disaster, right? They're like setting up barricades and the zombies keep breaking through the barricades. That's when you hear Dan O'Bannon's cameo. He plays the helicopter pilot uh, and they do the most ingenious trick ever. They don't have enough money for a real helicopter. So what do they do? They put a pane of, of plastic windshield over a crane, over the camera, and then shoot the POV of the helicopter. Voila, instant helicopter. Brilliant yep. filmmaking trick. Cheap, good, fast, cheap, you know? Um, so they, what happens next? Um, so they're, we just, we got Bert and Spider in the car doing their right. whole thing. They crash. Right, they crash into some zombies, and their cars get set on fire. Chuck and yep. Casey, who have been just sort of sitting around most of the time, they let them in. Um, a little more exposition. Yeah, a little bit more talking. Oh, you can't go down there, mister. There's a tar man. Fuck, and you then, know what's in there? <laughs> right. Oh, you know what it is, actually? There is one final plan, and that's where Bert sort of like sets up a plan to demolish the tar man by knocking his head off, which is the only yep, way to really... knock his goddamn block off. I'm going to knock his goddamn block off. So they, he mm -hmm. has spider open the door and then uh, Bert just swings for the fences and knocks his head off. And where does his head go? Um, okay. I think I, I, I honestly don't know what you're going to tell me, but I've actually written where his head goes. I've yeah, written this in the movie on camera. Where does his head go? 
I think it hits somebody's leg, maybe. I don't remember. It hits Casey's leg. It does hit someone's leg. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so in I, I will say this. I wrote a I wrote a backstory prequel about the origin of the Tar Man. It's called The Tragedy of the Tar Man. Because I think the Tar Man is a tragic character. He's like a, a pathetic, sad individual. Um, and I wrote a whole backstory about how he became the Tar Man and got into the barrel. And it kind of goes from being a prequel to being a sidequel, which means it happens, the stuff that's happening while Return of Living Dead is happening, and then eventually, you know, concurrent with Return of Living Dead's ending. So it's not like a sequel proper. So it's like a prequel sidequel. And what happens is, in my mind, when Bert knocks off the Tar Man's head, the head actually falls back down the steps and lands on a board with a nail sticking out upside down. And that's and the tar man's vocal cords are severed at that point, but he's still conscious and he hears them the whole conversation with Colonel Colonel Glover over the phone. In any case, they go downstairs, they decide to call the number stencil on the take, and that's when the zombies start breaking through the barricade. And you realize there's just no hope. They're they're starting to bust out of the barricade. This is bad news situation. And Colonel Glover, who we haven't spoken about once, he's part of the Army part of this. It's that, you know, they call it the lost assignment of Easter eggs. Yeah. And, you know, he just wants to get them back. But now that he, it turns out that they've hatched, and he, he basically gets Bert to explain the entire story. And, you know, he's very clinical. Like, he knows that these people are going to die. He's like, yeah. oh, they've hatched? Okay, you're all dead. But I still want you to tell me I still want you to tell me what the um, what's going on here. And so he sits down, he pulls out a pen and, and Glover's like, oh, yeah, uh-huh. Uh, that's understandable. I see why you did that. Like he's like very logically sort of like understanding of their situation, even though it's like, oh, you are going to die. You just don't realize it yet. Well, of course, he doesn't want to cause panic. That's right. what he's going to do. And we get some great it matte paintings of like the connecting call. You know, the satellite yeah. thing. Um, then he tur- he t- hangs up the phone. Bert hangs up the phone. Uh, meanwhile, t- uh, Frank, sorry, uh, Ernie and Tina are up in the, the attic. And I'm sure you spoke to Don Kalfa about this, right? Like about w- the whole um, motivation in the attic yep. and the, the Western, right? Can you explain that for our audience here? For those it's of not going to be the answer you think. Okay, what is the answer? I'm curious. The answer that he gave me one time was just, yeah. I was just thinking I was going to blow her head off and feed her to him. If I had to, I was going to jump out the window. That's really interesting because in later interviews, he talked about it like it was supposed to be like the, uh, the last stand in a Western and there's where the cowboy is not going to let the uh, Native Americans get the girl. So he's going to blow her brains out. Uh, to save her from a much more grisly death of like whatever it might have been. Well, yeah, I mean that know. was that was that was the the uh, motivation at the time. I'm sure. Yeah, but um, when you're talking to a guy, you know, 30 years later. Yeah, he's just giving you a fun. It's like you know a what? Fun answer. Yeah. Which yeah, I, I thought it was funny. <laughs> no, that's great. I never heard. I never not, even heard him say that. It's great. But it's also not out of character. When you take into sort of when you take into consideration who the character was built up as, 
Right. You know, think of it that way. Yeah. No, it makes sense. So. And, you know, Freddy is, we hear Freddy banging on the trap door going, Dina, I just broke off my hand, but it don't matter, darling, because I love you. And she's like, fuck. She's so like, she's so upset. She's so upset. And he's getting his he's getting his Luger ready. Probably one bullet left in the chamber. He's gonna he knows who it's gonna give it to. And we hear the the and then we we cut back over to the basement of Unita and Bert explains to Casey and Chuck and Spider and says, Don't worry. The army seems to have they've been expecting this to happen at some point. So the army knew this was gonna happen at some point. And they have a contingency. Um, Little did they know. (laughs) Right. Private Jefferson, who's on the rail car somewhere in North Dakota. Uh, Thanks, Chris, for having this set up for us. He said he gets the code for the nuclear to fire the nuclear shell out of the rail gun. Archimedes, hot dog, rhubarb, niner. Oh, niner. Niner. Locked and loaded, baby. And that was a um, that was like with Robocop. It was a. uh, that is stop, so stop motion. fucking weird that you just brought up RoboCop. Why? Because just before, um, just before you're talking about that, you're talking about the army and all this. Yeah. All I'm thinking about is the end of RoboCop when he tells her, "They'll fix you. They fix everything." <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I was That's more referring to popped into my head. I, you know, I was more thinking about what's the name of the big robot that that RoboCop fights. Ed two hundred nine. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we it's that same kind of stop motion animation for this little sequence of the uh, railgun. Yep. And it launches, and at five whatever five twenty four a.m. on July fifth. The July fourth, the great they, they nuke Louisville, Kentucky. Never forget. Never forget the great nuclear disaster of of Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the same time, we cut to a shot of Trash, who has become one of the 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 zombies. She's accepted her fate as a zombie, and she's hanging out with all the other zombies. And they've had just had the best night ever, eating brains. They look up in the sky, and then all of a sudden, we hear Freddie's voice. He goes, "Tina." He bursts through the door and it freeze frames because just at that moment, the nuke sets off and explodes Mm -hmm. everything and everybody dies. And, you know, we've talked about it on this channel before. The brilliance of Dan O'Bannon is he builds the story and he builds it. You know what it's like? It's like he's making this this Jenga tower that he never expected to get so tall and then he's like, oh, shit, what do I do now? I'll just knock it all down, you know? <laughs> but all it does is start the cycle over again. Right, and that's what makes it so brilliant. You know, anybody else, you would say, oh, what a lazy writer. He wrote himself into a corner, and now he's just going to kill everybody. That's stupid. And it's like, no, it's the exact opposite. You don't need to continue the story. We don't need to see what happens. If there was never another Return of Living Dead, and of course there was, but if there never was, it's the perfect self-contained film. It's all you need, truly, at the end of the day. As much as I love Return of Living Dead 3, and I love me some Return of Living Dead 3. Uh, But I I don't think of Return of Living Dead 3 as a Return of Living Dead sequel. I think of it as 
the tragedy of Kurt and Julie, you know, like Kurt and Julie, Romeo and Juliet, you know, Curtis. not yeah, Curtis. Exactly. Um, so and that and then, yes, it starts the cycle all over again. Now, originally, the original ending has a sort of like epilogue where they explain that all of the contaminated dirt was put in some rail cars in South Dakota or something like that. In this version, in the version that we see in the movie, you I have the feeling that this ending was found in the edit. Like this I feel like it wasn't in the script. I don't remember what's in the end of the script in eighty three. I'd really have to go back and look at it. But I feel like this was not there. I think what was there was actually the stuff about the dirt, the radioactive dirt in the cars. Um and yeah, everything starts all over again. And do you want to party? Yep. It's party time. It's always party time when it comes to the Return of the Living Dead. Yep. Now let's go trivia. back. To... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead trivia. Go ahead. No, no, no. no, no. You say trivia. trivia. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. What is um? I love this. There's an eye chart. There's an eye chart. Yes. At the Unita office, what does it say? It says Bert is a slave driver and a fucking cheap bastard. No, no, a cheap son of a bitch. And a cheap son of a bitch. Ooh, no you... fucking. No. You have more. You have you have more uh, trivia. Let's do. That's fun. You have anything else? Dude, I got all kinds of fucking trivia. All right, give, give me give me one more. Okay, I lived this movie for fucking years. Let me um, see if I can. See. Let me see if I can stump you. I'm gonna think of something as well. You you go first. Okay. Let's do this. Okay, let me think. This is fun. Think, let me think. Uh, and okay. then, guys, guys, guys. While we're doing this trivia thing, I want you guys in the comments if you're still whoever's there. We're going to assign blame percentage-wise to kind of close this to out. To whose fault it is. Yes, to whose fault it is. We want to we wanna issue percentages of blame, okay? And we'll, we can argue about it, but, but just think in your mind what you think that will be while we do a couple of rounds of trivia. Go ahead, Chris. You start. All right. Um, our, th- our three characters, you know, Frank and Freddie and, uh, and Tina had different last names in the novelization. What are they? Oh, I don't remember, man. I know that Tina is Italian. I know that Frank is uh, Italian or Irish. No, he's Irish. Frank is Irish, and he's got red curly hair. I don't remember what his last name was, and I don't remember what Fra- I don't remember what their last names. What, what are they? Bello. Um, Bello. Frank was N- Nello. Nello. Oh, so yeah. close. Tina was Vitelli. Vitelli. I knew that. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Freddie was Travis. Freddie Travis, right? Okay, that sounds familiar, but I did. It was not in my mind. Um, okay, my turn. Let me think of something that is okay. Okay, who is who is the zombie that is crawling through the ant? What's known as the ant farm zombie, the zombie that's crawling up through all the layers of dirt uh, during the acid rain storm. What about him? Who is the actor that plays that zombie? I don't know. Probably it's, Brian Peck. Yes, it's Brian Peck as the ant farm zombie. Because um, he was in every movie as something. He was, he, and he also, I mean, he was there for the entire shooting of Return of the Living Dead for six weeks. He just was always yep. there. Um, okay, give me you, your turn. Give me, give me something. There was a, one there more was each. A, a, one more each. There was this. There was another '70s horror film, mm-hmm. like Satanic, the weird, just weird '70s horror film. 
that was titled Return of the Living Dead at one point, and they actually had a legal battle to what? get that removed. Yep. It was one of its alternate titles, and they had to have a whole legal court battle to get that removed from them prior to Tom Fox buying the title. Wow. Uh, no clue what that movie 1974. is. 1974. Yeah. No? no. Messiah of Evil. Whoa, that was called The Return of the Living Dead, huh? Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. All right, I'm going to go for one more piece of trivia. Let me see if I could. Okay. Supposedly, in the attic crawl space set, supposedly there is um, an object of... There is uh, another object of Nazi paraphernalia somewhere in that attic that shows that Don Kalfa's Ernie is, in fact, a Nazi. Do you know what it is? Hmm. And I and full disclosure, I have looked all over for this object. I've never seen it. I've never actually seen it, but I've there's a bunch of different places. It's in the I think it's in the complete history book, and I think it's. It's it maybe it's in the documentary. They talk about this item, but I've never been able to find it. I don't know. The answer is a jar of teeth with gold fillings. Supposedly in the attic, which was, as you know, for anybody who yeah. doesn't know, they would pull them out of the uh the Jewish victims, all the victims, not just Jewish, everybody who was who perished in the Holocaust. Everybody who was who was dying. Yeah, they would take out gold. that gold. They would yes, they would take the gold out. Um so supposedly that is there as well. Okay. Let's let's issue uh, let's circling back around as we land this airplane, let's issue some blame here. Okay? Let's let's uh have some concrete percentages. I'm going to say that right off the bat, the army is 60% responsible for this disaster. 60% to the army. I'm going to give 25% to Bert. I'm going to give 10% to Frank and 5% to Ernie. Army, I'm not going to give any percentage. Oh, come on. I'm not. Shenanigans. Shit happens. You you can't do anything about it. Um, Bert, you know what? That's a tough one simply because you don't want to lose your business. That's your livelihood versus the fucking canisters. Yeah, but it's not about justifying. It's about liability. Whether Whether we sympathize with him or not. What is the liability? I, like a film set. Think about it like a film set. The producer is fucked if somebody gets killed by a gun with a bullet in it. You know what I'm saying? No. No, he's, no, he's not. <laughs> that the is producer. See, we can go round and round all day long. That's the producer is liable. Producer is also well, liable. But all the producers are liable. That's four producers on that fucking movie. They need to take that chick out and chop her fucking head off. <laughs> Don't get me started, fucker, dude. If I, was, I listen, I, was I'm, I man, fully, I agree with her. I agree with that. Sentiment. And the she AD. Is, 
They're all liable. All of them are liable, but the producers are liable too. That's what I'm saying. And therefore, Bert, well, Bert they're, is... They're liable in name only, but again, it's not their fault. But they run Bert the set. They it's hired his... her. They hired yes, her. Yes, but you do a lot of shit. Bert hired that, Frank. We can go round and round on that one. Does that that makes John Landis solely responsible? Oh, I don't even get me start. You know my feelings on John Landis, and you oh. know I think he's fucking responsible. I he absolutely I totally should have gone to jail. Because I like no. John Landis. I know you like John Landis, but take away from the fact that you like him that he's a good filmmaker that he makes good films. Three things. Helicopter pilot should have known better. Oh my God! It was Landis should have known, no. known better. Nope, nope. Landis should have known better. He shouldn't have had non-union kids at two o'clock in the morning. No, on that a set. completely is that completely is his fault. But the accident and everything that happened, there are several people involved in that. There are the several people involved. They're all guilty. But that's they what I'm all saying. Should have known better. But they. But that's what I'm saying. So Landis is responsible in the same way that Bert is responsible. Landis was we're so responsible. We're bring it back. No, no, no. This is not. No, this is perfect. It this has sets, nothing to do with Return no, of the Living it, Dead. Yes, because it sets the precedent for Return of the Living Dead. 150%. No, it can't. Be, it can't Why? set the precedent. Why because not? Because it's a real-life situation, and we're talking about a movie situation. Yes, but we're talking about a situation where someone is running the show, and they have something that is unstable like an unstable thing that's going to result in people's deaths. And therefore, hey, Chris, Chris is like totally late. I, and What's up, again, Chris? I'm going to disagree <laughs> with you. He is not responsible for that. The only person I'm going to hold responsible 100% is Frank, period. That's my final answer. Boo. Do not do what you're told not to fucking do. Is it your name on the fucking building? No, it's not. Is it What's your up, name Troy? on the checks? No, it's not. Don't fucking do it. Oh, I want to be friends with the kid. No, fuck the kid. I... He fucked up. <laughs> and it's his fault. And he got what he deserved. Unfortunately, along with him getting what he deserved, the entire fucking city, yeah, everybody probably died. most of the suburbs did. Everybody's That's like, oh, fault. I can't wait to barbecue tomorrow. It's the 4th of July. <laughs> yeah, that ain't happening. That's, that ain't happening. I... We're going to have to do that with like Jaws and shit, too. Oh, I'd love what about about li liability? Liability? Oh, that is so fun! Holy shit! I didn't even think about that. Like, it, like, elaborate on that a little bit more. In what way would Jaws? Well, what do you mean? I would blame Quint Bottom or line, the mayor. Well, of course you want to blame Larry. He's a fucktard, but not just Larry. The entire city council. If you blame, hold on a second. Okay, okay. You just set the precedent here. If you blame the city council in they Amityville, all, they all voted to keep the beach open. If you blame the city council to, for voting to keep the beach open in Amityville, then you have to blame the army and you have to blame Bert. No, for, didn't, yes. they, did, oh they did not. They didn't go down and open the canister. Did, sure. did the it city all comes down to did, hold on, the city council knew there was a shark problem, but they kept it open because they needed the revenue. Same thing they as Bert. Same thing as Bert. Bert kept his, his but, thing open. No, yes. No, here's what would be the difference. Let me explain. Go ahead. Would be the difference. Go ahead. You're wrong, but go ahead. No, not. Yeah, I'm always right. Haven't nope. you learned that by now? Nope. That's why it says simple celluloid and not proven. Nah. You're right on your show. So. Here's how this works. 
plain and simple. Yeah. You have the shark, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if they had had the shark... The tank is the shark. If they had had the shark mm-hmm. contained, they knew where it was, right? They told people, don't fucking go down there. Let's say they just they knew where it was. They let it out into the water anyway. They let it out into the uh, the pond, right? Yeah. For babies. That would make them liable. That would, well, no, I'm now getting confused. So hold on. Let me, let me backtrack that. They're liable because they know the sharks out there and they're voting to keep it open anyway. They know there's an issue out there in the water, but they're still voting to send the people into the water. As opposed to if they would have kept the shark, let's say in the bay, they know it's there. We're going to keep them here. We're going to open the water here. But let's say people want, you know, we they've told you the bay is off limits. You don't go there. And people go there anyway. They're not responsible for that. The individuals who decide to go into the bay are responsible. Okay. Now I'm going to take everything you just said and I'm going to plug it into Return of the Living Dead. And you want to know something? By that logic, if the government, if the army was not aware of where that batch of Easter eggs went to and perhaps right. would have acted differently, right. then, in fact, really, the bla- 75% of the blame could be put onto Bert. Bert receives the Easter egg, the, the, the batch of Easter eggs. He makes the decision to leave them in his basement and keep his business open with employees running said business, moving. Who knows what they're moving around down in that basement? You know, like, oh, we got to move these these Indian skeletons down into the basement. Oops, we knocked over into one of these uh, tanks, causing the gas to leak. It was now, a disaster again, you're, you're waiting to happen. Hypotheticals. We can't go on hypotheticals. You it's, have to go with the facts that are presented within the film. Okay, then the facts that are presented with the film is that Bert was operating a business knowing full well that he had something hazardous and dangerous in that the nobody basement. nobody was supposed to go near. Of course, but nobody's supposed to go in the water if there's a shark there. Even well, yeah, Everybody knew that there was a they shark there. They didn't tell people, no... They Nobody, people they knew were that told they were that it was yes. safe and it was okay, right? And so Bert did not Bert didn't do that. He said, "Stay away from the fucking tanks." Yeah, but and not Frank for... didn't know how to do that. Okay, but maybe, but we again, we don't know why he said stay away from the tanks. Maybe he Doesn't just matter. didn't want. He said, don't no. go near them. If he said no, stay, again, he... yeah, but if you're not aware of the hazard, no, if you're not aware of the hazard. We we could. We're just gonna have to end it. We're just gonna have to end it because we're the bottom never line agree. is he said don't go near, and that's that's the bottom it, line. Do it, what your fucking boss tells you to do. If you're sad enough to have a boss, do what you're fucking told. That's your it, fucking job. It does not so, yes. matter. It do, I I think it does not matter. I I think that if you are on idealist. the job. Yeah, but if you have to have a safe working environment for your employees, and if you have stuff that they would have stayed out of there, it's it like was, it fucking was, Home Depot is no. treacherous if you go to the wrong place and you do the wrong thing. Right, but there was an this was an this was a a chemical hazard waiting to happen. Not if nobody touches them. I, I, I don't, I don't agree. I will, I will, I'll tell you this. You know what a slicer? You know what those electronic, electronic, electric slicers that they have like at fast food? Yeah, places? the deli, the deli things. Yeah, the big yeah. saw one. Mm-hmm. 
that is a big open blade. Mm-hmm. Now, if you use it correctly, well, uh, it's fine, right? Right. That is a big open spinny blade. Is that not a hazardous thing? Yes, but let's say you're cutting with the hazardous thing, right? And you're doing it the way that you're supposed to be doing in said place. And you're right. following all the rules. There's not going to be an accident. Now, let's say that you're showing the brand new employee, hey, check out the thing. This is this is our thing. Blah, blah, blah. Look, let me flip on the blade. You're not using it for its intended purpose. You're just trying to show it off. And therefore, a work it's accident happens. It's your fault happens. when somebody loses a finger. Listen, you and I are in agreement. <laughs> Frank is absolutely at fault. The difference here is you're saying that Bert is not at fault when Bert is also at fault. That's well, then, the difference. And by that, would the manager of the uh, whatever be at fault? Yes. That's yes. the dumbest thing I've ever no, heard No, it's in not my life. because the manager, it's the manager's responsibility to keep the workplace like safe. He word. would be viable. He, he would be, be viable. viable. He wasn't there. He didn't tell anybody. How do go. we know he wasn't there? Maybe he was. Maybe he was in the other room. This is our well, hypothetical. I'm okay. saying that he was there. Let's say that he was there. He was in the okay. back doing inventory. And they were fucking dicking around with this blade. You know? And then, boop. But you're, fingers that's come not off. The same, that's not the same situation here. Bert told him, don't go near it. <laughs> it's not a bad question from us. It's not yeah, that was funny. More. <laughs> Um, wow, we're getting a lot of people that are late to this stream right now. I know. We're, you like, know, guys, where were you when we were talking late, about this? Yeah, you know. Because for me, it's 7 o'clock. Yeah, that's the beauty of living on the PST. We're we're EST, and I have to wake up to I'm get my kids ready PST. for school. That's not? why. You're, wait, no. you're two hours I'm behind Arizona. or three? Arizona does not change its time. So no, now it's... I start at 7 to keep us at 6 o'clock Pacific. Wait a minute. So you're saying that you never, uh, you don't Arizona have. Arizona does not change its time. It's the only state that doesn't do a time change. There is another, I mean, remember how we were talking about like how Arizona is actually like the shit and it would be even really the shit. It would be even more the shit if it had like a body of water. Now I'm going to say it's even more the shit because that's awesome. You don't have to deal with that nonsense of daylight savings time. That's great. Nope. Don't have to deal with it. Wow. That's pretty special. That I'm glad Chris is here, even if he's here late. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, well, I want to know what people think. I want to. Yeah. Know. Well, we're waiting. Well, I'm, I was waiting. We posed this question to everybody, guys. Who is liable? Is Bert liable at Ru, all? Rue agrees with me. Well, I don't know if he agrees with me about this, but I think he does. I don't know, Rue. What do you think? Do you think that Bert is reliable at all? Liable. He says. Not he says. I agree. He says, I agree with Chris, but he could be saying agree with Chris Corbin. That's why I'm asking. We don't know. Yeah, all right, so, all right, they were 50% Frank's fault, 30% military, 20% Burt's. 30% of militaries. I See, I would switch. Damir, I would switch that. I would say 50% Frank's fault, 30% Burt's, and 20% militaries. He all does. Right, he does this, declare. I'm going to fuck this whole thing right now. Go ahead. So by your train of thought, whose fault is it that everybody dies? In the movie? Yeah, I'm only talking about the movie. Um, I would say that it's Bert's fault. How how much of a percentage? Hmm. 
Okay, but why? You mean because he calls the, the because he calls the the number on the uh, side I'm of not, the tax? I'm not telling you anything. I'm not giving you parameters. So what? Wait, you ask said, me the question again. How much of this is Bert's fault that everybody dies? Yeah. Well, I said whose fault is it that everybody dies? You said whose Bert. fault? Okay, that's interesting. That's different than who's responsible yeah. for the thing. Yeah. That's very. I mean, I would still say that. I would still say that Bert is 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 responsible. He's responsible because he let this he let everything get to this point by not calling the number in the first place. And then when he finally does call the number, he ensures that everybody's going to die. In the, yep. in the if he doesn't call the number, a lot of people are going to die, but a lot of people might not. But what? Why are you laughing? It just that. Yeah, I'm laughing my point. at Ruse. I'm laughing at Ruse. Bert is responsible only by letting Frank be in charge. <laughs> so there, he's right though. He's right. Bert is responsible because he let Frank but only be in charge. By letting Frank be in charge. No. Okay. So still, that's what he said. Still, but no. Se separately though. Yes, I think that if you want to pose the question differently, if you pose the question that who's responsible for. The entire city and surrounding area dying, Bert, one hundred percent, and there shouldn't be any question on that. He but, let he let the situation get out of hand, and then he's the one who unfortunately tried to fix the situation. Well, you know what's kind of funny? It's the irony that had it's the irony of time, because if he called the number on the side of the tank in the beginning, a we year. Yeah, let's say that he did it even five years before the incident happens. Everything would be okay. Everybody would still be alive. Everybody would still have their business. But it's the irony that he waited until the time that he did that he ensured that everybody would be killed. Which did, yeah. And Fascinating. Rue, yeah, Frank didn't, thank you, Rue. Frank didn't have to show the tanks. I'm not, okay, look. And you, Amy says Burger's you're right. liable. He's the boss who's supposed to notify the proper authorities and military. Yeah. You want to know something, though? Yes. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, Frank, and we're in, like, here's the funny thing. Right. We are in complete agreement about Frank. Frank is absolutely responsible in this situation. He is the main catalyst for all of this happening. However, yeah. his liability is folded back on Bert because Bert a, not only was it his business, but he had the knowledge. He knew that he had some weird government shit in his basement, and he was trying to keep it a secret because he didn't want to ruin his business. And that ultimately would be everybody's downfall. So ultimately, it all falls back on Bert. Bottom line, it's all Bert's fault. <laughs> Oh, oh my God! What a what a this was such a what do you call that in um, lawyer when lawyers are li, what do they Deliberation. do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what this was. This was a a, per, a a case study of of liability. You know, uh, I would love man. It's too bad we don't have someone with some lawyer knowledge in in the chat here because I would love to hear their opinion from a, a legal perspective. If if this was like let's say that that two four five trioxin was some uh, let's say that it was asbestos some like real thing you know and who then for therefore would be liable in that situation and I think that's honestly how we would truly rely on the answer A here you go Amy says Bert is selfish and irresponsible Chris says 
He probably knew that he'd be eliminated if he called the number. Interesting. I mean, it is kind of a situation. Well, that's not true, though, because if the Easter eggs are, are intact, then they have no reason to launch. We don't we, we don't know that they've seen shit that they're not supposed to see. That is so... true as well. Bert should have gotten rid of them, especially if you know you got dumbasses working for you. Exactly. Yeah. I've... Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we could go round and round on this. We you could. Know, I'm always going to side with the business owner because I know what it's like. So I, I'm always going to side that way. I think, I, b- bottom line, I think there's plenty of blame to spread around. Um, with blame being like, you know, definitely, there's definitely a focus of that blame. But there's plenty of blame to be spread around in the situation. And that's the bottom line. That's it. End of fair, story. Fair. And, end of story <laughs> in, in that realm. Oh, my God. That was that was a whirlwind, you guys. Too. I mean, what what else you got? Well, we can talk about the soundtrack and how wonderful it is. Oh, and all we, the song. Let, let's do definitely you know the, do that. Do you know the song? Do you know the song that's um, when they got rid of the damned and they replaced it for the Hemdale VHS? Something Iranians. I think it's the new Iranians. Yes. Yes. Catalog um, music, yep. And nobody that knew was, that forever. Yeah, that was uh, that that that's really really that's a real real deep cut right there. Because the soundtrack, yeah, they had problems with like the the rights. Basically, yeah, this soundtrack was really awesome because it was one of the few of the eighties uh, that really is just like a pure punk rock soundtrack. I mean, you really well, you have the band, a lot of those, a lot of those songs didn't appear anywhere else. And that's why the the soundtrack has right. maintained its value. That's very true. Like you can't find Deadbeat Dance, I don't think, anywhere by the Damned. Um, mm-hmm. Chris says it's called young, it was Young Fast Iranians, is the name there of the track, go. and it's by the Straw Dogs. Thank you. Um, and that is yeah, it's just the the soundtrack, and it it has such like a mixture too. Like not only is there punk rock, there's definitely there's post punk. There's like this sort of like synth, like death, new wave sort of vibe going on with SSQ. Um, yeah. And then you have the theme, which is which you really and can't get anywhere. Who is the lead singer of SSQ? That I don't know. Susie Q. Oh. Who was a disco queen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. She had the um the big disco hit, you know, post disco, like eighties disco. Hmm. Um, Two of Hearts. She was fucking oh. huge. Yeah, that I did not know that 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 was her uh, that was her group. Um, and yes. we talked about the Jet Blackberries, phenomenal song, Love Under Will, phenomenal song. As I said, the Tall Boys, Take a Walk, love that track. Um, Cramp Surfing Dead. You really you really have a fun time. As a matter of fact, listening to that soundtrack is what makes you want to watch the movie. You know, you're like, oh, I got to watch the movie now because the soundtrack is just so good. Um, so there's that as well. And then, of course, like what happened afterwards, you got Return of the Living Dead Part 2, which we could do a whole thing on in and of itself. You got Return of the Living Dead Part 3. And... Had Yuzna had his druthers, there would have been a Return of the Living Dead Part 4 called Hell Mary, um, which never came to full fruition. 
Then we got the butchered uh, double feature of Return of Living Dead 4, Necropolis, and Return of Living Dead 5, Rave to the Grave. Just absolute atrocious trash fire. Just garbage. Just pure garbage. So I'll never forget being so excited that we're getting two back-to-back Return of Living Dead sequels and just being so completely and utterly let down. Might be the single biggest sequel letdown in any any franchise out there. I can't think of a bigger letdown than Return of Living Dead 4 and 5. I mean, in it's any really genre? bad. Yeah, in any genre. I'm putting that You're out there. You're going to tell me that 4 and 5 is a bigger letdown than all the fucking Star Wars sequels and prequels. Abso-fucking-lutely. Wow. One billion percent. There Why? is nothing because there because there's redeemable content in all that Star Wars stuff. There is no, nothing redeemable. Not. Oh, no, come on, not. Chris. Yes, I there hate, is. Dude, I hate them with a passion. The no. characters are fucking ridiculous. Fine, the, but it's the still, writing is ridiculous. It's still What's better redeemable? than it doesn't matter. It's still better than Return of the Living Dead four and five. It's still better. Come on. Oh, come your on. Bar should, your bar should have been lower in the first place. <laughs> no. You should have I, known that they were going to be garbage when you found out they were premiering on the Sci-Fi Channel. Well, that was a big red flag, but Beyond Reanimator was on the Sci-Fi Channel. It was great. Love Beyond Reanimator. Reanimator didn't premiere on the Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, Beyond Reanimator. Beyond Reanimator movie. absolutely yeah, premiered on the Sci-Fi the Channel. Difference. It was great. You, you knew that one... It was made in Spain by Brian Usna. They couldn't get distribution here. Sci-fi was the only place it was going to go. You have to take that into consideration, and you as a filmmaker should know that. It's like Dog Soldiers premiered on the Sci-Fi channel. Never did I fear for Dog Soldiers. Oh, it was great. Because you know the lineage on that. You're like, okay, this is a real movie that can't get released in the theater, which, you know, is its own problem. You know what? How do, as opposed I to something that was made for sci-fi. What are you talking about? It wasn't made for sci-fi. We didn't know what it was going to be. Well, I didn't know it was going to be sci-fi original movie. I just knew it was premiering on sci-fi, and I'm going, oh, my God, it's Return of Living Dead 4 and 5. And, and on top of which, they're kind of continuing with the idea from Return of Living Dead 3 with, like, the mech, you know, combining the the cyborg or trying to do like cyborg and that should should have been your red flag right there because that is a dumb idea it's cool within three oh 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 it's an awesome that it was gonna go bad it's an awesome idea that from three that just was so misused so terrible and so misused um it's just so so sad behind it i mean he's not great but you know he knew that material enough to take it seriously by the way, I was working at Subway when three came out. Yeah. And I've never been able to replace it or seen it since. Yeah. But we had posters because somebody what? got it up their fucking ass. Hold on. Somebody got it up their ass to combine Subway with Return to Living Dead 3 for marketing purposes. Shut the fuck up. Really? Do your fucking research. Yes. We were promoting Return to Living Dead 3. Yo, and I you think are she blowing... eats it in the movie. Okay, you are blowing. No, she definitely does not eat Subway in the movie. 100%. Somebody. We'll have to rewatch it. But yeah. No, they, I've. They Chris, I know that movie like the back of my hand. There, nobody eats Subway. Yeah, but in that you movie, don't have it but... tattooed on you. So. So I still know it really, really well. I'm almost. I am almost. Positive. I don't know. I don't I'm know. I'm almost but positive. But all I know is we were marketing it, and we had That's posters. That's crazy. 
That's really it, crazy. No, let me tell you about the poster. Yeah, go ahead. It's the classic poster, for, you know, her right. like this. Right. Right? Yeah. Face completely airbrushed clean. Yeah. Yeah, they took all the glass out, all the scars, right. everything. Right, because it's Subway. Yeah. Yeah. And also off of the shoulders and everything else. Basically, it was a hot chick. Hmm. Steve Johnson did a great job with the, uh, oh, the special effects. With... The makeup great. was great. He but also yeah, did I've never been able to that poster, but I did have it. And it was oh, black never... and white. You don't have a you don't have any pictures of like your room or something no, where dude. It was... oh, fuck. Dude, this was like fucking ninety three. No, I don't have pictures of my room. So no, it's long gone, but it That's was fucking really cool. sad. It was it wasn't cool, but it's cool just because No, it's, a it's rare totally piece of fucking history. cool. Like I'm now I'm gotta Google this shit. I'm kinda curious to know. I think I I've done it before, but I've never been able to find anything. Subway but yeah, they had a whole poster. this is when they were trying to do that. They did cone heads. Basically every movie that Subway partnered with was <laughs> did not do anything for them. I'm looking right now to see if I can if anything pops up. But it looks like I'm not seeing. Yeah, exactly, Rue. It's it's cool in that respect, and I wish I could replace it because I would chunk down for it. That's what it is. It is. It's like a total collectible. It's, it's like the just coolest the thing. The weirdness of it is what makes it so interesting and cool. You know. Speaking of Return to Living Dead collectibles, I only yeah. am missing two things. What? The barf bag. Okay. Because there was a barf bag, and a wind up mechanical hand. Do you have the Japanese, um, the uh, the Japanese press book? Yeah, the Battalia Battalia. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Do you have the manga adaptation from Japan in the eighties? No, never heard of it. I I didn't hear about it until very recently. I will send you some really cool pictures from it. There is a Japanese manga manga, whatever you want to call it, adaptation of Return of the Living Dead, and the Tar Man is terrifying in it. It's really, really freaky deaky stuff. I need the Returning Living Dead Part Two, and I don't care about that movie. But I need the little promotion ceramic, yeah, clout. Yes. yeah. Oh I my need god! It because I have to give it to somebody else because that, they have something dude. I want, and that is their only <laughs> that's the only price. And you know, I used to see it on eBay. And yeah, stick my finger at it. Now I want it. But, of course, it's been another 15, 18 years. How much was it going for it. back then? Do you remember what it was going for? 75, 85 bucks. Wow. I wonder. I bet it goes for so much today. It would probably net about two to three. Oh, my God. What a what an item, though, that they were, like, pushing it like that and that they had that kind of, like... That's why... You know what I love so much about American movie more than anything? I When I see Mark from American movie... Wearing a Return of the Living Dead Part Two shirt, I'm just like, this guy is my spirit animal. Like, not just that, like him being like a like a filmmaker trying to bring his masterpiece to life. Like we all, every filmmaker relates to that part of American movie. But just seeing him in the Return of the Living Dead Two shirt, which is such a random thing for like Wisconsin in like the early '90s, like it's just such an obscure, weird thing that you're not expecting in a film like American movie, which. For for those of you who don't know, it's about this guy Mark. I forget his last name. Mark uh, B B something with a B, and his his stoner burnout friend as he tries to make his uh, horror film, black and white horror film called Colvin, and takes him many many years to complete Colvin. 
Oh my god. Hey, Great by film. the way, we um my return living dead tattoo on my leg, the poster. Yeah. Yeah. When we did the book tour, yeah. Um Christian who put together the book. He's looking, you know, I had just got that finished after 20 years of it just being line work. Mhm. Got it finished for the tour, right? Yeah. So we're all sitting in this hot tub here in Arizona when I swore I would never come back and then I moved here. Go figure. <laughs> um so I'm sitting there outside the hot tub. Everybody else is in the tub. Yeah. And um, he looks at my tattoo and he's like, where the fuck is everybody else's fucking tattoo? Where's your exorcist tattoo? Where's your fucking troll tattoo? You guys aren't dedicated like Chris is. You guys fucking suck. This book's going to fail. And it's going to be your fault. Ha. <laughs> All because of your tattoo. Hey, I was dedicated. I made that shit work. It is one of my favorite images of all time is Melinda Clark against the full moon with that tree against the red backdrop is like, okay, could yeah. literally stare at that image for all eternity. It's just like my favorite thing in the world. I love it so yeah, much. Yeah, when I think about it, dude, that's crazy. I have a Return to Living Dead tattoo and a Return to Living Dead 3 tattoo. I can't believe that. It's so weird. Like, I don't think it's so weird because I don't think of you as a Return of the Living Dead guy, but like, you I really huge are. Return of the Living Dead guy. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm clearly. It's my favorite zombie movie of all time, still. Yeah. I mean, it's fucking, it's the best, dude. It's like just a you just watch it over and over and over and the, over again. I paid some kid because I didn't have the VHS, right? This is yeah. about 97. I paid some kid I was working at Cliff's Books in Pasadena to go on the fucking bus to this video store he knew in Montebello where he was friends with the guy and buy the fucking VHS off of him and bring it back to me. I didn't even know this kid and I gave him like 85 bucks. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't know this fucking kid. That's crazy. And he, he jumped on the fucking bus. Went to Montebello, not a, not a quick bus ride. <laughs> Haggled with his friend. He did right by you. It came out, yeah, and I still have it today. He did right VHS, by you. I have the Hemdale. I have my um, Return of the Living Dead 3 VHS. I have the, the VHS that I first watched Return of the Living Dead 3 on at my local horror video store. I still have that VHS. I, I rescued it when they were going out of business. Oh, yeah, Chris. And freaking... When I first saw Return of the Living Dead, I was 10 years old. I taped it off the sci-fi network, and it was obviously cut to shit. And yeah. I wore that tape out. When I say, you know, when you hear that definition of you wear the tape out from playing it so much, I played that tape to, like, friggin' shreds, to ribbons, man. Just wore it you the fuck out. You don't know how many cassettes I went through for Return of the Living Dead. I still have my cassette, too, like my final one. But we, we played that so much in the basement of my grandma's house where we all used to hang out. The fucking music just, the tape stopped playing. There's yeah. no music left on the tape. It's right. It's just flown around the fucking basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it just, <laughs> you, you grind it because it, you know, it, it rolls against the drum, you know, to pick up the information. It, you, just, you watch it so many fucking times that it's just, it's just worn to shit. And I wore that tape out and then. 2002 rolls around it comes out on dvd for the first time like holy yeah. shit like that was big that was such a big deal when that happened and then right after that you i was walking in best buy and my jaw dropped open the return of the living dead soundtrack was on cd and i'm yeah. going 
holy fuck, this is like, what a score. It was 10 bucks. Friggin' bought that shit up right then and there. So happy. Played that Played that in my car till it melted, you know? I need uh, an 8-track of it. Yeah, right? And then... <laughs> just because. <laughs> just because. And then the... Um, we got various different uh, Blu-rays. There was like that weak-ass Blu-ray that they put out. And then finally, Scream Factory put out what will pro- sadly will be the definitive version, I think. With Why do the- you say sadly? Because the only thing that could make it more definitive is if they find a way to res- fully restore the 24 extra minutes, which we have in the work tape. I mean, it's nice that they included the work tape, which is very common. You can It's very common to find on, on YouTube. I've had it for years. Yeah, yeah, it's a very common, easy-to-find thing. What, uh, initially, before the Scream Factory uh, disc came out, we were told that we were getting 24 minutes of restored footage of never-before-seen alternate, like, restored footage thinking that it was coming from the work tape. They could not mater- make that stuff materialize. They couldn't figure it out or they lost it or whatever. So th- as a as a sort of, a, as a boon to the fans, they threw on uh, a, the highest quality version of that VHS work tape, but it still looks like shit. And, of course it does. you know, it's got some commentaries. It's got like, there's like five or six commentaries on there. And it's got the, the more brains documentary to, in my mind, that's probably as definitive as it gets. Like they're not, unless they come back with those 24 minutes, but I'm not holding my breath. It's not going to happen. If there's, yeah, there's it's just such a bummer. Like we keep talking about, there's no market for it. It's not worth the money to produce. So well, from that, over. from that, Forget about everything that I just said about like they like having trouble finding it. What you just said is the ultimate reality is that there's just not enough of a hunt. Although here's my one count. I have one counter for that. I have one counter and the counter is this for years. People wanted to see this alternate version of Nightbreed and it was I just going to go there. But here's let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Go ahead. Go ahead. The. It was deemed absolutely impossible. This could never happen. We're never going to see the cabal cut. It's just, there's never, it's like, I mean, for fucking like 20 fucking years, people were fucking jizzing over this thing, man. They wanted it so bad. And then finally, bit by bit, oh, we're going to cut the footage back in, even though it's VHS quality. Oh, now we found a higher higher quality uh, footage. Yeah, and we cut that in. And then all of a sudden, and it's not the cabal cut, although that would come later. I, as, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. It's out. Know. It's out, but it's super limited, and I'm not paying 500 bucks to see it. Yeah. So there you go. Well, yeah, but go. here's what happened. They what did they do? They took the shitty footage. Yeah. They cut it in, and then they took it on tour. <clears throat> right. They raised the money to be able to pay to have that shit digitized and cleaned up. That right, and then it became, money. and then That's all of a sudden they shrugged their shoulders. Years. Yeah, they shrugged their shoulders. They go, "Oh, well, you already did all the work for us. We'll put it out." You know. Yeah. So, so what somebody would have to do with her, which no one's going to do, is take that footage, cut it in, take it on tour, pull up enough money to go ahead and have that done proper, cleaned up, redigitized, recolored everything, 
and pop it back in. You want to know what's funny? But here's the problem is everybody's seen the fucking work print. We all have it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. And you want to know something? That's not true. You're you're wrong. I think everybody would, everybody who's a fan. corner with the people who think that Sam Hain. Yeah. You mean, you, you fucking mean all of us. We all want time. Oh, I'm well then Chris. you go together, you put together sixty thousand dollars and you pay for it. Chris, we all want our time in hell. Not gonna happen. <laughs> we all need our time in hell. Let it go, the shit's not good anyway. <laughs> um no, but in terms of Return of Living Dead, you pose a very interesting notion. And I know just the person to fucking talk to about this. And I, I know. Wonder. But good luck with that because it's not going to happen. Yeah, but you like, go ahead and call him, and I'll I'll be here when you want to cry because it didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. I wouldn't cry over that shit. I'd be like, I tried my best, and it didn't fucking work out. It doesn't fucking work out. But it's worth like pitching it and being like, look, this is what you need to do because that dude's always like, you know, he's he's doing the difference. Here's the difference, and I, I get yeah. that, but here's the difference. We never saw the Nightbreed footage. We've all seen the Return of the Living Dead footage, and it's not all that spectacular. There's more. I believe there's even more. And I believe that we haven't seen everything yet. And Then you'd have to, first of all, find it. Well, somebody would have to know it exists. Somebody would have to go find it. we got to, you know, figure, cross the it's, T's and dot the movie, I's. From a movie from 1985. Oh, it's not, there's... It's, it's How not a realistic lost, thing. There's so many lost films yeah, that have again, come back. People have to want to go find it. Look, they found the fu- look. They found the three and a half hour black and white director's cut of Martin, which did not exist. Talk. It was as it was they as fabled as London after midnight. Them. They found it by accident. Was they it an accident? I, they were looking for it. They were. They didn't find it just by accident. Do you think that whoever owns the rights now is going to go looking through which vaults? MGM? Orion? The person who owns it is Richard P. Rubenstein, and it's going yeah, back but he to has his to possession. Go... That footage could be anywhere. They found it. They have the print. They, they have, have the it. full print with the missing yes. footage? It's well, not then... a missing... No, it's not a print with missing footage. It's the three and a half hour black and white cut. They have the reels. It's three reels, and it's being returned. What movie to are you talking about? Martin. I'm talking about Return of Living Dead. I don't give a fuck about Martin. Oh, I'm just Return saying. Return of Living Dead. Yeah, but I'm using Martin as an example. Martin was thought to be this lost. Martin was lost. We don't the need three a, and a half, three and a half hour cut. It of doesn't Martin. matter whether you need it or not, Chris. It was lost. It was okay. lost, and then it was found, which gives me faith. Oh my gosh! It gives me hope. You know what it is? It's that you're a dreamer and I'm a realist. Uh, listen, I never thought that Martin would have a three and a half hour black and white cut. Like I just never thought it was possible. And the fact that it's possible, listen, I never thought that Glenn Danzig and Jerry Only would ever share a stage again, and that fucking happened. Okay, that was impossible. That was when green hell freezes over, and that happened. Anything is possible if Glenn and Jerry can share a stage after everything that happened between them, then anything is possible. Just, just, just yes. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. No, I totally disagree with you because it comes down to dollars. I'll fucking hang out with anybody for an hour for a fucking $4 million. Yeah. I'll be anybody's best friend, even fucking Dicko. What's his name? 
Jordan Peele. I'll hang out with him for an hour for four million dollars. You want to know something? Fuck net. I'll tell you something. I'll tell huh. you something. I would never, ever. You couldn't pay me four million dollars to be in the same room with with John Landis. That's why you're poor, because you will yeah. not whore for money. Well, fuck John Landis. I would never, ever, ever, ever spend. I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't accept four million dollars. Here's the, the thing: is I don't take wouldn't personal things like that from people I don't know. I don't know any of them. I don't care. Write me a check. I'll hang out with you for an hour. I don't have to be your best not friend. John, not John Landis. Can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah, that's the problem. Is you have these principles that are based on things that you don't know. No, I just you wouldn't. Don't, I you don't just know. Wouldn't, you I don't just know him. Do you don't know David Niven. You don't know the kids. They're all dead. Don't care. I would. That's me because I don't. If I don't know you. I don't give a fuck. I will admit one thing. I, I, huh. He is a great filmmaker. I can't take you can't take away from his filmmaking ability, and that he's a great filmmaker. Well, he used to be. But... Innocent Blood is really really fun film that I saw for the first time th- this October. Oh, put right. it right up there. Put it right there with with American Werewolf. It's like the vampire version of American Werewolf. See, I think I think that's why the film. I think it was unfairly called American Werewolf with Vampires. Right. Well, it was in in was it you who told me that? That's how it was marketed in Paris. That's how it was. That's how it was seen as. Yeah, and I think that's unfair because I think it's its own film. I'll tell you something. That scene where he eats the raw meat, he's like, "What's wrong with it?" He's like, "Nothing. I'm just hungry." <laughs> he's eating the meat. I fucking die, dude. I was dying in, of laughter. I was like, "This is the, the comedy. The comedy in this film is so well done. You, you can't deny. As much as I hate Landis, I can't deny how fucking great Innocent Blood was. That whole scene where he, Don See? Rickles is like, "What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you?" He's like, ah, "Nothing. Ah, I'm hungry. Ah. Look at." <laughs> Look great. at Damir. Is it Damir? Because I don't want to say it wrong. Yeah, I I was trying to figure that out. Damir is is your name, Damir. We'll, we'll find out if it's. Look if what it's, he says. What did he say? He said Chris is a savage. Why do I always get that? I don't know. You're a sinful I'm a, savage. I, I'm kind. You're a sinful savage. I'm kind. Oh my God. Sure. It's what from an hanging episode. out with, from hanging out with that fucking guy. It was really nice before. I I, I find that hard to believe. I find that just <laughs> too hard to believe. Um, do you, let me ask you: Do you have any final thoughts on Return of the Living Dead? I don't. I think we covered it all. You know, I again, think we really stretched the game. I, honestly, you know, for me, Return of the Living Dead. Just like I know we haven't talked about it yet because you got to fucking buy it goes with dead world that whole those all those things came together for me at the same time it's dead world i really want to read rock, dead world it's in my amazon dead. cart it's in my amazon cart you know all that stuff came together for me at that time so it all Matthew. fits nicely together because also dead world um dead world like richard living dead were people yeah. i could relate to yeah you know and that's the thing that sets Return of living dead apart for me from fucking all the dead movies, you know, Night of the Living Dead, All the Dead, Day of the Dead, although Day of the Dead is my favorite of those three. I can't relate to any of those people. Let me ask you a question. All. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Am I going to read Dead World whenever I get around to it? When I, am I going to read Dead World and be so mad at Walking Dead and be like, holy shit, this is just a pure ripoff? 
Is it probably really? if you have half a brain then you will realize that yeah all fucking whatever his name is i can't remember right now all he did was fucking take dead world and rework a lot of it a lot of the early shit interesting uh by the way uh Demir's name is Demir. that's how you pronounce it. it Demir. okay we, we will remember close. that we were close sorry about that um okay I, I I think I think we've reached the end of the the, the track done. here. This was uh this was a lot of fun. Um, next week, uh, Chris will come up with a topic for next, us. No, next week we're gonna talk about the crow, and I'm gonna say that now simply oh, because here's my shit. thing with the crow. I love the crow. Let's do it. I know, this. but you're gonna hate me with this, and I that's yeah. why I'm saying it now. The crow. Good yeah. movie. Yeah. Good movie. And I yeah. have a lot of stories to share about the Crow premiere. Yeah. One of the worst comic adaptions I've ever watched in my life. Okay. I as someone who is People I am usually lose their fucking mind. No, I'm very I am comic adaption. No, Good I am movie. very, very familiar with the source material. I've read the comic a bunch of Good. times. I love the comic. In in fact, the comic really is its own thing, and it's a very sad very tragic sad which i thing. learned about in dead world interesting i told you that yes that, yeah yes. The, the first because it was caliber right um so yes we were going to talk about the crow next week okay i'm 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 in for it i'm in for it that that's going to be a lot of fun as a matter of fact the sleepy hollow international film fest we had it was ed pressman and the screenwriter one of the screen at ad, ad adapters maybe was at this uh, screening and did a Q&A. It was very interesting to hear some of what uh, they had to say about the film and the making of the film. Um, I've never I've never met Pressman, but I'd like to talk to him. He's awesome. Uh, Pressman is... About Conan. Pressman is awesome. Right, yeah, because Pressman was involved in the early sort of uh, machinations of that. Yeah. It was yeah. he's the he's the one who decided okay let's sell it because we're not going to get what we want and we're losing money this guy wants it right right yeah um, yes I did yes we did Chris um, but you know what Chris, I've seen a million see people done Jason up as the crow because it, it's happened it's almost happened yeah what, like eight times oh like a hundred a hundred times years. and you know what whoever they get whatever comes like listen i'll go see it i'll go watch whatever the the next crow is going to be obviously but nothing it, it all that's going to pale in comparison to that 94 film is it's kind of got like a its own sort of magic to it because cool. of all the circumstances you know and that's why i want the comic though and that's what they're supposed to be doing that's what I want. I want. You know that what I kind of think the they need story. to do? Okay. You know what they need to do? They need to fucking spawn it, dude. They need to do some sort of animated, dark, animated crow adaptation. That's what yeah. I want to see. Yeah. I don't like animation. Oh my god, it'd be great. I want it live action. I fucking love animation. You know, I had. I should what? save this. What? I'll give you a hint. I had several of those pages. I think you told me that. I think I did. But I sold them. You did tell me about that. You did tell yep, me about that. I had that. several of the original Crow pages from Caliber. He had, I mean, he, he kept adding pages. There's like pages upon pages upon pages. He was kind of like, yes, he kept That's what you do when you're yeah. a heroin addict and you need to make money. You make mm. up pages. Yeah, that's And then eventually happened. you decide we have a director's cut. But then you sell all the pages for money for heroin. 
And the book that they advertised in previews has to get canceled because there's no book. And then 10, 15 years later, 15, oh my God, no, more than 20 years later, they come out with it because hmm. you redrew the pages again. Uh, I, I agree with Rue. all day long about that because I was... I wasn't directly involved, but I was involved with James and a couple of peripheral people. And yeah, I know all about that shit. Uh, I agree Don't with Rue drugs, here. People. They're bad. I agree with Rue here. He says they better have Iggy Pop back in the remake. Yes, I want some they Iggy Pop. They better have what? Iggy Pop? He's too yeah. old. No, he's not. He's too um, old. What's Trash Sex Doll? I'm not familiar with that. What, what am I? Huh? What is Trash Sex Doll? Trash sex doll, yay or nay? Yeah, I don't know what, what that means. What do you means. mean by that? Before you we explain. agree or disagree? Yeah, yeah we're not going to answer that. <laughs> we, we need that to know more. That sounds incriminating. Yeah, it sounds very incriminating. <laughs> we don't want to answer that until we know more. You have to tell us. Okay. Do you remember a movie called Poor White Trash? <laughs> not only do I, okay, not only do I remember the movie Poor White Trash, but the guy who plays the sheriff was my acting teacher at community college. The one that the one with Jamie Priestley, right? Yes. Not the old one from the early eighties. No, the okay. one with Jamie Priestley, you, and I knew remember, the fucking sheriff in that movie. I knew him. Do you well. remember the sex doll that they burn up in the car? I do not. There's a sex doll that they burn up in the car. Not seen that movie in forever. This fucking killed me. Guess what that doll is? What? Tracy Lords. Wow. Do you know how much money that thing was worth, even at that time? Somebody probably found it in a fucking box and said, well, we'll stick this in there. And it kills me. Because that thing could easily sell no, it's for just over plastic, $1,000. Dude. No, it's just plastic. Just, no, that is a piece. That is an expensive no, piece of history. No, no. You don't no, know no, because no, you're, no, no, no. you're not old enough. No, 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 no. Okay, so he's, yeah, what he's saying is... Was illegal. What he said, yes, I know. I do know the story. I do know why it's illegal. Then you should um, know that that thing was worth a lot of fucking money. Well, eh, whatever. Okay, what is he saying? He's saying if they made a sex doll of trash, oh. would you buy it? I wouldn't because I don't give a fuck about her in any movie. I would because Jeff that's went. a collector's item. <laughs> <laughs> no thank you. Is is Killer Clown from Outer Space considered a punk movie because the Dickies made a song for it? I'm gonna say yes. I mean, Pretty it's much. not a it's I mean, not a punk movie, but it has a punk fan. By all the yeah, exact yes, yes, it's a punk movie. I'm gonna say it's a punk movie. I'll say yes. I, I say concur. All right, guys, I really I got to end this stream. We got to end the stream. We went about 21 minutes over. Uh, this was a lot of fun. We had to argue. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a great argument. I love, I live for that stuff. I, I like it when we have arguments because then it's it makes for interesting conversation. So may there always be uh, an argument for something for Chris and I to argue over. Um, but in the meantime, we have a lovely way of saying goodbye to you. And what is that, Chris? Peace and hair grease. Peace and hair grease, everybody. We will see you next week with the crow.